Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. Uh, do you masturbate, Russ? <laughs> Jeez, I, you know, I've been so busy lately. I barely podcast my shoes. <laughs> there we go. Are you happy? My podcasts. I barely polish my podcast. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yes, you don't know. I don't know. Okay, not- Griffin's very riled about the choice of quote for this. Well, movie. now that now that I have access to the uh, the clock of the recording, I can say it took four minutes to get to that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I was riled minutes. about. <laughs> okay, what about this um, one? What about this one? Here's a new quote. Ready? We're oh not restarting God. the episode, but here's a new superior quote <laughs> along the same lines. Okay, let me say the role of John Travolta's Russ Richards again. Give me a moment to find the character, and here's a new line. Yeah, well, what about this little Missy? There's enough mist in this little puppy to save 10 podcasters. Uh, yeah, that's fine. I mean, right? I don't remember a single line from this movie. You could say... <laughs> anything right now say it was from this movie and i'd be like oh yeah i guess i guess i don't remember that well i've got to tell you there's a line i and I, i'm gonna to have to apologize ben i'm gonna to have to grab my phone at some point because when i listened to nora efron's commentary mm. she cites the line in Humble the script back. that she said when i was reading it i must make this movie and i have to be on set the day that line is said for the first time which line is it should i just do that now yeah i'll keep my phone yeah. Relatively far away from the recording material. (laughs) And I'm going to do a third alt reading. I think it should be, what about this little Missy? There's enough mist in this podcast to save 10 masturbators. Here's the line. Lisa Kudrow in the restaurant says, fuck me, no fried clams. Is one of the line, one of the reasons I wanted to do the movie. I want to be there the day that line is first said. Amidst all the chaos and sadness, it's possible to focus on the most trivial thing, says Nora Ephron on the commentary for the hit 2000 comedy Lucky Numbers, now celebrating its 20th anniversary. This is, of course, a very important episode celebrating the 20th (laughs) anniversary of Lucky Numbers. you're jumping the gun. The 20th anniversary, of course, is in October. We're, th- we're a few months out from the 20th anniversary. But that's good because you'll get in front of the wave of other sort of retrospective yeah, pieces. Right. We're, we're putting the marker down, right? That's exactly. the oral we're history. First. Also, no, no, David, there's, it's, I've it's already a heard year. there's competing oral histories. There's going to be four. David, the it's a year-long celebration. The celebration isn't that day. It's a year-long <laughs> celebration. What are you talking about? We're one of a tapestry of events celebrating the 20th anniversary of Lucky Numbers because this, of course, is blank check. It's a podcast about filmographies. Directors who have early success, massive success early on in their careers, are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion products they want. And sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they win the lottery, but then result in several deaths. Baby. This is a mini series on the films of Nora Ephron. And we've gotten to this, her second least successful film financially. Um. This is so my life made less than a million. Right. But this is right. It, it certainly it made less money than this is my life. I'm, I just feel like this may have been uh, bigger. This may have lost more money, right? Cause this probably cost yes. some money. And when you, you may not, do you know how much money this made total? How many black hats um, did it make? 
Can I tell you what I think? I haven't looked it up. Okay. My memory is that it made like one and a half black hats. Uh, yeah, I don't think it even got there. It made one and a smidge black hats, basically. Like 11? What did it make? 10. Wow. That's it's bad. bad. It, it basically yeah. made Travolta's salary, is my guess. It's, it, made like, it made like one and a third black hats. Travolta might have gotten full quote for this. I mean, this is a big studio comedy at the peak oh. of his stardom. I, I, I would say slightly yeah, post-peak, but still peak in the zone. It. Yeah, but but here's the thing. Boy, do I have a rundown of the Travolta leading up to this to really dig in on. Well, we did. We I want to warn you. We covered a, a lot in Michael. Not and that, that is that is why my list again. starts with the release of Michael. Great, because Great. the period Great. between Michael and this is insane. Yes. Can okay. I just? I mean, Great. can I just read this now? This. Yes, because then no, there's no, a point I want to make after our this. Guest, and then we can. And then we. Who's can do chomping that. at the bit? I'm Griffin. I'm David. Your name? And our guest today returned to the show for the fifth or sixth time. I'm like Craig Kilborn moving to CBS because I'm taking the five with me. This is your. This is the time you join the five-timers club on the main feed. I think so. That's why I'm wearing my Ben hat. Wow. He's wearing a congratulations hat. He has recently been anointed the official ambassador, brand ambassador. A ambassador, of the Congratulations. A an ambassador, sure. Of the congratulations fashion line. Yes. This Director is of Listen your, Up, Philip. Your fifth episode. You're yeah. on Insomnia, Hollow Man, Taken Woodstock. You took Woodstock. We took the it. Keep, we took it and we kept and it. And now this. Yes. Yes. And, and so to it's, honor this event, of course, uh, I rewarded Alex with the congratulations hat. You gave him a congratulations hat because this is a major event for Alex Ross Perry, director of Listen Up, Philip, Queen of Earth, uh, 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 Her Smell, and many more. Um, Found another perfect film for me to come do. I was going to say, you like to pick the film that kind of exists the least. Often their lowest grossing film, but a film that flopped in a way where people don't even talk about it. And similar to Nolan with the one movie that he does not have a writing credit on, this is the same thing, and it therefore yes. feels perfect. And I basically demanded that that well, this had to be this had to happen. Also, a huge huge Efron household over here. We love her. You're a big Efron fan, and this similar now, similar to taking Woodstock was like the one I hadn't seen. Right now, we had booked someone else for this episode, who which was John long, Travolta. Unfortunately, John Travolta. <laughs> we booked Johnny Travs, the most bovine of all leading men, <laughs> to be the guest on this episode. And then, uh, no, we booked a non-Travolta person who we've been trying well, to get on the show Travolta for a long time. Well, there's John Travolta and then there's non-Travolta. Those are the two there's, categories. We booked a non-Travolta for this episode. We've been trying to get on the show for a long time. And he had not seen this movie. And I was like, hey, this is up for grabs. Do you want to cover this? And he was like, sure. And then you told David, I would like to do Lucky Numbers. And David said to you, we have someone for Lucky Numbers. It's off the table. I don't said, think there's anything we can do about shit. it. And then I believe I also said, but you can have your pick of a Zemeckis or, you know, like it wasn't like I was like, now check back again later. See ya. Then, then Alex texted me and was like, it's too bad. I would have loved to done lucky numbers. But David told me there's nothing that can be done. It's immovable. And I was like, this is obstruction. This is large government obstruction. I can untangle this. I reached out to the other guests we had booked. I said, would you rather do First pick of any Zemeckis movie or Lucky Numbers. And he said, yeah, I'll take a fucking Zemeckis over Lucky Numbers. I made both people happier. I'm the only David one that would hear that offer and say, Lucky Numbers, obviously. Yeah. Yes. Right. You wanted it. And I got much it. Much like, 
Nora wanted to be on set hearing the Fuck oh me, no, they're no out of fried, fried clams. clams. Fuck me, no fried clams. Now, can I say two controversial opinions right off the bat? Okay. One, I think Lisa Kudrow nails that delivery of what is a very good line in a script. She's great in this movie. She's good. Yeah, she's she's uh, actually just good in this movie. Okay, now here's my second controversial take. I like this movie, and I was not expecting that. I was not prepared okay. to have any generous takes on this film. Yeah, this you know, you know, not, I like to aim good. to be either the bottom or second to bottom when you do your rankings. So that's disappointing. Yes, uh, um, I mean, yeah, this is second to bottom. This is third to bottom for me, at at least. All right, well, that's okay. That's still on the loser. Not, really? not to call out my list in advance, but they're right. They're two I like less than this, unquestionably. While you're on the no, subject, I, did did no. you take my suggestion for a bonus episode? Uh, was your suggestion uh, hanging up? It was. Yes. Then we did take your suggestion. That it was said to David in a blind rage when he was telling me that I had to take a hike. We had already penciled hanging up into the schedule. He stole your idea. Blind rage. Stolen glory. Have you have you recorded it yet? We haven't. We have not. Because it's interesting that this and that are the same year, both Kudrow. Yes. Both Kudrow. Kudrow, it's like it's like welcome to the club, Kudrow. You're gonna be a rom-com leading lady. You're going to be in Nora Ephron movies. This is great. Like your movie stardom awaits. Well, if and you think that one of like the things and fricking Marcy X or you brought up Marcy, Marcy or Darcy X, right? Marcy, Marcy X and people Marcy are like, X. uh, go away, Lisa. It, well, if right. you think that one of the things on my syllabus that I made is not talking about friends a movies, syllabus. then He's you are incorrect. A physical soul. Great. Okay. Because this is the context I want to get into. I feel like this is a really good episode to talk about, the friends movie. Also because I think you might never do one again. Is that possible? When I was looking at the careers of the friends, I was wondering, surely will a friends cast member ever be discussed outside of like a lost in space oddball? I was going to say, right. I feel like that's the only one we've done. If we don't discuss, um, Jesus, David Schwimmer in a movie. I'm going to lose my mind. What would Surely that movie be? Something. Yeah, I don't know. Name what that movie is. I need to look at his filmography. Major or marginal auteur that he worked with that you would ever discuss him unless you well, do a, uh, Doug, a Doug Elin series. Let's into it. He he worked with the auteur David Schwimmer, director of Run Fat Boy Run. So maybe, oh, that's right. Uh, you know, check yourself. Yeah, of course. Um, he'd, be, he'd be on the weirdos uh, bracket, right? Yes, he could be on the weirdos. <laughs> well, okay, look, if we ever do Soderbergh, David Schwimmer was in the laundromat. Oh, uh-huh. he did fold that movie like I do laundry. feel like you have repeatedly said Soderbergh is unmanageable by any measure of how to do it. Well, who fucking knows? We have yet to solve it. Okay, if, if we ever if, do Matt Reeves, which we might, then we're going to need to kick it off with the Paul Bear. We're going to need to bear that Paul. Now, that's an interesting take because we could, I could see two movies from now, us doing Matt Reeves. It could happen. 100%. And if we ever do Mike Nichols, I didn't realize this, but apparently David Schwimmer plays a cop in Wolf. So. And certainly he would be the the main thing to talk about while talking about Wolf. One of the most insane things that has ever happened. (laughs) I'm realizing one other Schwimmer. If we ever did Ivan Reitman. Yes, we talk uh, about six Schwimmer in Six nights. Days, Seven Nights. One hundred percent. Yes. Okay, so you're going to cover one. a lot of Schwimmer. He, he popped. We're going to cover so much stuff. Schwimmer. 
Yeah, it's like a third lead. But in terms of like what I define as the Friends movie, that's like one of the six cast members of the hit TV show Friends. Like yes. as yes. the lead, like six days, seven nights, it's Harrison title. Ford, Anne Heche, and then whatever right. Schwimmer as well. I'm talking no, like I agree with movies you. that were like, you're famous. Here's your movie. You're forgetting. Yes. There's the very, there's a very obvious one. Which one? Um, Peyton Reed. I think, you know, he is Peyton Reed is a somewhat the legitimate candidate and the breakup is, is a, you know, that's a Jennifer Aniston vehicle. Yeah, so that that counts because Jennifer Aniston's the one who actually got vehicles. I was like going to say multiple right. vehicles. Well, we have to unpack this, but it is fascinating for being the one friend who actually had a legitimate movie career that kind of worked. She has worked with very few people we would right. ever cover on this show, unless you would, do Rob Reiner and cover the graduate unless, movie. Unless we do, but the you see, movie. you don't even remember the title. Uh, rumor has it. Rumor has it. All right. All right. All right. Fine. Uh, yeah. Who directed Picture Perfect? Oh, uh, you know. I, I couldn't Some answer guy. that with a gun to my head. Uh, it was a TV director, mostly. Glenn, okay. Glenn Caron. Yeah, whatever. Part, part of what I found interesting is that, like, in my mind, the Friends movies by 2000 are all done. Like, this yeah, movie... Yes is like two years later than every Friends movie, except for two that I found, which are The Whole Nine so, Yards and Three to Tango, both Matthew Perry vehicles, 2099. Right. And then weirdly, Marcy X is 2003, at which point no- But that was members. on a shelf for two years. Yes. That was, was like a delicious. very delayed movie because yes. Paramount made that and then looked at it and said, are we going to get arrested if we put this in theaters? It was one of those <laughs> yes. where they just kept on like- They should release it now. Mm, yes now now is the time for hip-hop to meet shop till you drop it, it, it must. which is which was the tagline for mercy x isn't that also directed by like a weirdly overqualified director well like it's of course directed benjamin. by richard uh, benjamin you are correct sergey eisenstein directed that film yes you're right or ricky you're benjamin right. yeah richard um, benjamin this is what I find interesting. Alex, I'm so glad you're ready to talk about this. This is, of course, a main series about the films of Nora Ephron. It's called You've Got Podcast. We're talking about Lucky Numbers, a film that I'm going to very half-heartedly defend while just explaining why this movie, I guess, ticks off my weird fetishes because I can't actually say anything about it that makes it sound good. But... No, not good. The 90s is this weird run of... Because I think the phenomenon of which sitcom stars become movie stars and which ones don't is really interesting. Like, if you look at a show like Cheers, which was so mammoth, and the obvious thing was, oh, Shelley Long will become a movie star. Ted Danson right. will become a movie star. Both of them made a bunch of movies, and they had hits, mm -hmm. but they never mm -hmm. really became movie stars. Ted Danson, no. Danson had uh, uh, Three Men and a Baby and a sequel. Shelley Long had a couple, like, the, there's the, um, the Bette Midler movie I'm forgetting the title of. Right. That was a big hit. But yes, they never really but, became proper movie stars. You would not have bet that Woody Harrelson would be the one to connect. He's the uh, one. Much like how Jennifer Aniston was the one. Yeah. He is the one. And of course, we await um, Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage, uh, which will be the, yes. final, uh, the final jewel atop his uh, film star th crown. Right. Ted Danson, at least, he has the distinction of, I think, being the best TV actor of all time. Which I think there's he an argument. is with with very little argument. I think I think like he's the one where he's like, I've now done everything. Like I've I've tried every kind of American TV genre. I've done prestige. Yeah. I've done multicam. I've done it all. Like you know, 
did CSI Look, just I, to do it? You know, like that's what Danson finally realized. He's like, I should just be the most famous TV actor ever. And he's incredible at it. Uh, yes. I think that's a good argument. And I'm I, I'm not judging him for not having a better movie career because he certainly no, tried I, and he, he had big hits. Yeah. He, took he his had acts. good performances and shit. But in the same way that it's like, you wouldn't have predicted that DeVito becomes the leading man from the taxi cast. Like those sitcoms, often right. the person who was the lead doesn't have the career. It's, it's weirdly someone who seems like more of a character actor who ends up uh, growing into something else. And then Friends right. is this example. People always cite it as like the show that broke sitcoms because there always used to be an understanding of like you put pretty people on procedurals. You maybe have one pretty person in a sitcom cast, right. but like a sitcom is mostly you get people who like come from the comedy clubs. You get people who come from Second City. You get people who come from musical theater. Weirdos. People want to watch people who are funny. They're weirdos. They're a collection of weirdos. And then Friends was suddenly, oh, everyone in this cast is hot. This is a sitcom. Everyone's a hottie. In which everyone's getting their everyone's own Everyone's a hottie. I must say though, and, while, you're yeah. on this, while you're on the subject, seeing the, the talking about this era of sitcom, one thing I wanted to bring up, especially seeing the four of you here visually, four of you kind of remind me of the cast of Seinfeld. Hey. I don't know if that's been brought up before. Um, what about the cast of Seinfeld? I, I want to say one thing about Friends before. I just, just, feel just, like, just, I just feel like the four of you could do a promotional photo shoot for Blank Check where you assume like David's Seinfeld Kramer, roles. right? Well, you're, yeah, 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 for sure. That makes uh, yeah, the Dave, David's sense. always coming up with crazy schemes that he's trying to invent. No, Ben, Ben, Ben. Wait, what? I'm Kramer. Um, I just feel like the way that they they did the Wizard of Oz photo shoot, you could the four of you yes. could do the Seinfeld photo shoot, or that Rolling Stone where they're all in like S and M gear. Have you uh, ever seen that? Oh, the of most cursed image that, of all time. Yes. I have not. But the I Seinfeld did, crew. I in feel S&M like the four gear. of you could you know maybe do a Seinfeld photo shoot. I mean, David is the most has the most Jerry energy yes. imaginable. <laughs> Right. Yes, I am obviously the Jerry. It's pro- it's like probably in the Constitution that I'm the Jerry. <laughs> like you know, that's like unbreakable. Like there would need to be state action taken. You don't wait. Wait a second. You don't think David is the one who is describing things he's done off camera, and you can't tell if they're real or not? No, I don't think so. And plus, so Griffin, you don't think if, he's the Kramer? If Griffin is George, the and your dad thing, gets to be a, a wacky Frank Costanza type, it, it just all lines up. Absolutely. Perfectly. Yes, that See, lines but up. Seeing the four like, of yeah. you and thinking about that era of sitcom did get my brain rushing onto the Seinfeld thing. I hope this is the, a compliment. I mean, it's, it, I say this yeah. as, as with the highest praise. Let me speak the other thing about okay. the Friends cast before this exits my brain. God yes. damn it. It's six people. There are six hotties. We can't dispute yeah. this. No. They're all pretty enough to be movie stars. It, right. Only one of them has any comedy background, correct? Kudrow's the only one who like took Second City classes. Incorrect. Or whatever, right? Incorrect. Incorrect. Aniston auditioned for SNL, had a background in sketch comedy, was on a short-lived Fox sketch comedy show. Take it back. I forgot. I had no idea, to be honest. The others did not. Uh, uh, LeBlanc, Perry, uh, Cox, they're obviously. All, like, just, they're just actors. They're like, theater. Schwimmer they're like drama school NYPD people. Blue. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, they were drama school moved to Hollywood people. What do we uh, think no, about the double take? Are we into it? Do we like it? The double, take. double takes are fun. Members running bit where he kept doing double takes. I love a double it's take. Great. I love a spit take. I a like a spit take. take. Double takes, they stink. What? Come on. Wait. <laughs> huh? You're saying you don't like a double take? <laughs> what? Wait, wait a second. Wait, what? What? 
And I for like, the listener I, I like at home, the we're all doing double a, takes with and you can't see them. a pause in the middle where someone like looks and then they're like. Do you like a slow <laughs> double take as well where they like someone slowly turns back around? Yeah, I like it I all. Like this is the camera just that. like. This is great audio content to all be it's doing yeah. takes the second right. Ben says it. Hey, we're recording. Uh, the cast of Friends is fascinating. The genre of Friends movies is fascinating. And I think they're mostly extinct by 97, 98, which makes this as like an above the title studio release kind of an outlier. Because I think by well, 2000, most of the cast is not doing that anymore. I, well, I think 2000 is the cutoff point. I think because it's whole nine yards and this, I think that's really, this is the last proper year of it. But here's what I think is interesting about your theory. Aniston is the one who goes on to have a film career, but for most of the 90s, people were like, why isn't she connecting? What she does in the 2000s, what she does essentially starting the next year is, I'm going to play second banana to every major A-list comedy leading man. Mm -hmm. She becomes a star by just being like, I'll take the thankless role in Bruce Almighty, in Along Came Polly, how she finally becomes a movie star. Well, yeah, because they kick her off with Picture Perfect and things that are more just like, well, she must be a rom-com leading lady. And, right, And there's right. just She's that automatic Ryan. resistance where it's like, no, that's a TV actor. You know, that line used to be so firm. And so yeah. people are like not interested. But the thing about Kudrow that you got, I mean, like the opposite of sex, she won critics awards for that. And she yes. had Romeo and Michelle the same year. So I think with Kudrow, people are like, this is like an intelligent comedy actress who, you know, she she's a perfect fit for Nora Ephron. It makes total sense. She was always quietly the best actor on that show. But her especially, along with Especially Joey, how it's aged. Especially watching totally. it now. She's running laps yes. around everyone else. Yes. Absolutely. And I'm she so rules. excited anytime she shows up in anything. Obviously, like comeback people have come around to and recognized how much it was slept on. But I think yes. watching Except that is also show, one of those funny things where people were like, everyone just agreed that the second season doesn't exist. And nobody after wanting yeah, more yes. of it for like a decade, it, we got it. And everyone was like, oh, okay. there's the one perfect I, season that everyone likes. Yeah, everyone was like, oh, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, because there was also web therapy. She just yeah. she right. does stuff. Wasn't that sponsored by like Mitsubishi or something? Probably. I'm sponsored by Mitsubishi. Oh, really? No, no, but I want to be. You uh, are right, David, though, that she is the one who had the most sort of traditional comedy bona fides going into a right. sitcom. Right, right. And and so and in she was a way, on mad about you. Right. And even though she was the weirdo character, that she was the character who was sort of the most limited in her game. So it was hard to track what kind of movie star she could be. Whereas someone like Aniston, you'd go, well, I know I can see her in a rom-com. It was like, who does Kudrow play? Because it was such a character actor performance. It was not a movie star a star energy performance on friends. But then she also seems to be kind of like, I, I don't have anything to prove. I'm going to do whatever I feel like. And then right, right off the bat, her appearance in this movie has that thing from this time period of like, this person, you know, from TV is cursing. Yes. Isn't that something? Yes. And, and here's like, I, you, I bet you can't imagine and, like yeah, right. Phoebe having sex, right? Like that, yeah. all the shit that's like pointedly out of character for Phoebe. It's a little different because Courtney Cox had been in the Scream movies, which obviously have. But she has the weirder career because she had that as a big franchise Jenny's and did Ventura. no comedies. She she after right. Friends she, she does no, no romantic comedies or anything like yeah. that. No, yeah, she really just. I mean, she's she really in the highest grossing little. movies because of Scream and also yes. the fewest movies of the whole cast. 
But she was also the one who had done the most before the show. Uh, yeah, she's unusual yeah, she, in that sense. She's I mean, she was the, the most famous. Going I was going to say that's what I know her from. Yeah. Everyone she's, knew her from she's, the Springsteen video, right? She's in the He-Man movie. She's ostensibly the lead of the He-Man movie more she than she plays He-Man. Jerry's pretend wife on an episode of Seinfeld. Yeah, she was in a lot of Family Ties. Uh, she had like a big recurring role on that. Um, she had yeah, done she the around. most work. Yeah, um, Matt LeBlanc was like, so, you know, what like plucked out of. I guess like red shoe a ketchup diaries commercial, right? right? Isn't yeah, he in yeah. like he a ketchup was, commercial or something? A handsome boy. Uh, right. And obviously he Schwimmer has the was least like a movie theater star. guy. Yeah. Who had been on NYPD Blue. Right. And Aniston was like the queen of failed pilots. Like that was her reputation was she booked a pilot every year and never went. Uh, and, and of course, of course. Leprechaun. He's going to say Leprechaun. And she was in yeah. Leprechaun. Yeah, I mean, you can't yeah. you can't not talk about Leprechaun. Apparently, she's dancing in the McDonald's scene in Mac and Me, which I didn't know. Mm. Hey, I that's exciting. That. Question about pilots: mm. Like, are those just sitting somewhere? Like all of yes. these pilots all over the years? It would be fascinating yeah. to get to watch. Isn't that them. wild? It would be really cool. They should release it. Yeah, some of them leak out. Some of them end up getting released for different reasons years later, but it's so bizarre that so many of them are just like, yes, we shot this. We spent a couple million dollars making this. It has famous people in it. People are curious about it. We will never let it be seen. Uh, I like Eric imagining just, them. Uh, sorry, go Andrew, go ahead. Yes. I'm just going to brag for two seconds, but you go ahead. It's more interesting. Oh, I was just going to say, I imagine all those pilots like in a cave on top of a mountain somewhere, like left to be discovered someday. That's where they all have to go. A lot of stuff yeah. is stored in mountains, in salt mines. It's a truly. lot of Hollywood ephemera. Um, Stoltz, future uh, portrayer of Ben Hosley, mm. uh, whether <laughs> he knows it or not, sent me um, the the imagined television Tommy Schlamme directed Noah Baumbach pilot that Stoltz is in. Oh, um, called Thirty, oh, which wow. I had, which is you know not track downable, and he sent yeah. it to me recently, and. Uh, it's it's no good. They they didn't pick it up because it's no good. It's a no good. It seems it seems. I mean, it's like two thousand, and it seems like they're saying like, yeah, Noah, can you write something like Friends, but it's your voice? His answer yeah. is like, I don't think I can, but I'll try. <laughs> but it was weird, just like sitting here watching like a dead air, no laugh track, thirty minute unaired pilot from 20 years ago. But, but is it a multi-camera just without a live studio? I don't audience? think it is multi-camera. I think it's single okay. camera. It's very like location-y, but yeah, pilots are weird. There is a pilot version of Blazing Saddles that they put on most of the home video releases in which uh, Lou Gossett Jr. plays the Cleavon Little part. And I think it's Steve Landisberg playing uh, Gene Wilder. And it's all shot on like a Western back lot but they put a laugh track in all of it. And so it feels like you're watching a live action Hanna-Barbera cartoon. Like that weird thing where it's like, who is supposed to be laughing at Scooby-Doo right now? This is animated. Who are these adults? Right. Who are apparently watching the animator draw these things and laughing hysterically. I don't know. That's my side tangent. I'm sorry. Great. Um, but, yeah. you know, I, I thought that this is like one of the later Friends movies and we'll get to Marcy X. Yeah. We'll come back to that. But I thought this was interesting to see her in this movie. When Dave, when David and I were talking about this, when he refused to let me do it, he said she's one of the most <laughs> cursed above the title actresses. 
Yeah. Yes. It's, it's I, like, I, agree I, with I that. love her when she's, you know, in, in, like, I mean, I think she is so incredible in the opposite of sex. Yeah. Um, and Romy and, and Michelle love Romy and Michelle. So that, that one kind of doesn't count. Cause that's early, but like, yeah, lucky numbers hanging up Marcy X. Like it becomes this kind of like cringy thing where it's like, how, how can this be happening to her? Like, yeah, we know she's talented. Like, how is it she gets the like the cruddiest projects? I agree with that, and I also agree with Alex's sentiment that David has gone mad with power. Oh, and- I, in David's defense, I did see while I was waiting to do this today another bad article about the uh, future of Quibi. So David obviously has a lot of. <laughs> He's problems. got a lot Quib- on his mind. Quibi's Quibi is going from strength to strength, and I mean, like every day, every day Quibi gains subscribers, and I think that statement, said without any other facts or figures, is just a sign of how strong Quibi is doing. You could reboot Lucky Numbers as a Quibi series. Mm. We we have. We did. It's up there. We you know what the Lucky Number is? <laughs> <laughs> the Lucky Number is 10 as in under 10 minutes. Yeah, no, we did it. Barbara Streisand and um, we're throwing money around. Warren Beatty's in it's, it. It's great. You have a you have a gender swapped octogenarian Lucky Numbers yeah. Quibi yeah. reboot in which Warren Beatty plays the lotto guy and Barbara Streisand plays the weather woman. Yeah. And all we had to do is annex Canada for Barbara Streisand. People don't understand, realize this, but we actually <laughs> bought the country for her at the low, low <laughs> price of $40 trillion. And, like, and it's all, it's all, it's all coming around. Look, look, we got, yeah. we got, there was a bit of a hiccup because no one wanted to watch any of our shit or pay for the service. But now we're, we're, we're just going to push through that. That's, that was, that was just a hiccup. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you for taking he's, a break to uh, talk talk about one of the sources of your revenue. He's really not doing well, <laughs> Alex. It's really, I've been getting really frightening text messages all hours of the day and night. It's mostly just like, have you downloaded yet? And then a link to the app. <laughs> please, we need a couple more people to meet our quota today. If you haven't yet, please download. Now available on Nokia N-Gages. <laughs> we're, we're available on any kind of phone, okay? This is a thing I find very fascinating about Kudra. 1997 is all three of the movies that really work for her. Romeo and Michelle, <laughs> Opposite movies, of Sex, right. Clock Watchers. All three of them are in one year. And they're mm. all like... One's a weird studio comedy. The other two are like independent films in which she gives really good performances, works with good directors, right? People were like, okay, she's carving out a lane for herself. She's not trying to be a rom-com star. She's trying to be like a female comedy star, like a character actor comedy star. And then it's pretty much like analyze this two years later. There's a big hit. She's well, above cover, the title. You'll, you'll but cover she's, that, of course. She's, we'll cover this I want to point that. out, she's technically below the title. It's Robert De Niro. Here, I'm going to, and you know what? I'm actually going to narrate <sighs> the entire poster now. Okay, because please I do. called it up. Robert De Niro, Billy Crystal. And then you got a picture of De Niro going, uh, and Billy Crystal, he's listening. You know, he's got the hand to his In ear. a Harold Ramis film. Yeah. And, uh, well, New York's most powerful gangster is about to get in touch with his feelings. Okay. Mm. Now, that's tagline a analyze okay. this. Now you're ready for tagline B mm-hmm. you capitalized and underlined you try telling him his 50 minutes are up and wow. Lisa Kudrow. <laughs> that's the thing. And then below the second tagline, it says, and okay. Lisa Kudrow. 
So she gets the, the idea that someone's like 95% of the way into seeing the movie, reading that second tagline. I'm like, oh, I wouldn't want to tell him it's 50 minutes are up. Oh, wait. And Lisa Kudrow. Okay. All right. I feel like You're this has become for free? such a dependably enjoyable part of the show lately where David is narrating these posters that have multiple taglines. I tag love lines. narrating a poster. People love it. You do it with such brio and joy that, and every time you do it, it's a perfect example. That must have been People quite have been a negotiation. People like animating them. To get her yes. on the poster, but they're like, yes. she can't be with the, those two guys. Those guys are legends. Right, because the- the image is so indelible. De Niro, yeah. you know. But no one is, else is, is in this. Like, we're not going to put, like, Jelly or whatever his name is on the right, poster. Right. So no one else is getting uh, on the poster. Uh, but we'll give her. Jelly we'll is give, pretty good, though. He could be, like, maybe at the window, like, you know, kind of, like, peeking. We will, we will put her name on the poster, and we will give her the and on the poster, which is rare. Right. I apologize for going further afield, but I must. Do you know that in the trailer... The trailer for Analyze That, the way they do the billing with the narrator is... What? For that. For that. That. For that. For the second film. I'm not talking about this anymore. I'm talking about that, okay? Okay. And the trailer... The trailer for Analyze That, it goes like, Robert De Niro, Billy Crystal, Lisa Kudrow, and then they list 10 more names by character. They go like, Jelly, Old Tony, Don Vitro... (laughs) Michael Jr. <laughs> they list the other gangsters by character as if they were all that iconic. All the supporting well, actors. All your favorites were that. iconic. I mean, they were that iconic, but they weren't this iconic. They weren't Ooh, this iconic, but they yes. were that iconic. And actually, Ange, that's 100 comedy points. <laughs> Thank yes, you very much. At least. Um, Jelly! Wait, now, I'm watching the trailer now. But yeah, she, well, it, she, while David does that, can I do the Travolta rundown? Of post because this I found fascinating because he and this movie to me I'm watching this this movie called Lucky Numbers and (laughs) if you've never I just want to say the final credited monster is called Lou the Wrench (laughs) of course monster (laughs) monster monster monster. yeah they also have monsters in it that sounds like one of the scumbags that would be sort of orbiting the the caper in this movie. The lucky numbers verse. Yes. yes. Uh, I'm watching this movie and I'm just thinking, imagine that you don't know who the lead actor in this movie is. Uh-huh. It's just someone's like, this guy is famous, but I won't tell you for what. You'll watch it and you, you will think right. no one has <laughs> no ever cultural context. less has been more evidently not a movie star than this performance <laughs> I am seeing in this movie. What John Travolta is doing sure. in this movie is so repellently unlikable and uncharismatic <laughs> and unfunny and uncharming that just to watch it, you're like, I cannot believe that this is, this movie is six years after Pulp Fiction. I, I can't deny yeah. out of it. For someone who is at his peak, one of the most electrically charming actors, like, you know, in Saturday Night Fever or Pulp Fiction, right? Like in this movie, you're like, does he know that he's playing like a, a person who's supposed to be charming? Like, does he know that he's playing a human being who hosts a television show? A disastrous performance. It's unbelievable. And also it but it's a like a performance that's like, this is the performance he would have given if he had never made Pulp Fiction or Get Shorty. Like this goes yeah, straight right. from early 90s jumps over his resurgence right back into yes. the gutter. Even seeing him against Tim Roth, I was having that thought. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, Roth I want to hang out with Tim Roth. Like, he seems Roth like a nice really guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, R- Roth, is, Roth is good in this. But watching this, I was thinking, like, is Travolta, like, he just seems like a guy who's like, 
He's born to lose. He's like addicted to not being great, even though he had it all for a minute. But yes. Alex, take us through his post Michael. This career, is going to blow your okay, well, first, his post Let me just set the stage. So, so Michael, right. which you've covered, is yeah. December '96, and he's a hit, capping off a year. This is like a Jim Carrey '94, February '96, yeah. Broken Arrow, July '96, yeah. Phenomenon, all. Yeah. Yeah hundred million dollar movies, I think, or at least yeah. big hits. I, a broken arrow, I think may not have been quite a hundred million dollars. Phenomenon definitely was, which no one yeah. remembers. You'll, you'll broken come back arrow to that when you do my old uh, disappointment, when you do my, uh, my John Woo and Hollywood miniseries that I told you, you should look, do. I mean, he broken arrow is a movie that I like, I think is okay and has some good stuff. And Travolta's doing his fun villain thing in it. And some people go to the mat for Ben. Do you like broken arrow? People are like, well, you know, I didn't see that movie because of under the best intentions. You saw it to learn how to steal thermonuclear weapons. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, is that the movie with Halle Berry? That is not. That's swordfish. That is swordfish. (laughs) That is swordfish. You would like broken. I mean, I like broken arrow. You would like it. Yeah. It's like scum. Travolta is like a, a criminal who steal who steals a nuclear weapon, and Christian the line Slater is in Broken Arrow. Right, Christian Slater is the the guy who has to oh. get it back. All right, but the Slater's line is in like, it. yeah, yeah. The line is like, we have a broken arrow, and they're like, well, what does that mean? And it's like, well, that's a nuclear weapon has been stolen. They're like, well, it's clearly like we should. Why do we have a word for that? I that's believe. Like, okay, let me let me. Try. I think I, I think go I can ahead. get this almost spot on. He goes, I don't know what's okay, worse. Go ahead. That yeah, you haven't, you That's I, I don't know what's worse that a thermonuclear weapon has been stolen or that it happens so often you have a name for it. That's a great line. I think that, that movie also line. has Samantha Mathis in it. Speaking 100%, of, yes. she's the female right, lead. She's, right. There are three Slater Mathis movies. Ben was helping me get this microphone set up, which he graciously loaned me and brought to my house. Yes. He texts me at, oh, 1256. <laughs> Hey, also AM. Uh, no, no, this is in the afternoon. Hey, okay, also okay. I watched my centennial man. Me 1257. Absurd. Ben, can I, <laughs> can I move there? Me? Probably not. I've never seen it. Two twelve. Ben, wait, fuck. I meant Johnny mnemonic. <laughs> I got them mixed up. They're no, both future people. Future man, you know? That's that's literally the only thing they have in common. What only you thing. just said. Future and man. also just aesthetically, no movie could almost be less Ben's vibe than Bicentennial That's why man. I was confused. I was right. like, wow, Ben's really caught up with everything during during COVID. He's reached the end of Netflix. He's just watching yeah. any movie with any Android in it in hopes that it gives him yeah. something. If um, you actually watch everything on Netflix, you have to watch Bicentennial Man last, <laughs> but then the, the site reloads and now Bicentennial Man is in every movie on Netflix. It's like when you yeah. beat a video game and you get to keep your weapons, like suddenly anything you watch Bicentennial Man or is Or like just in there. Super Mario World where like it all changes to autumn when you beat it. Exactly. Um, I wish you could unlock a uh, big head mode on Netflix and then every movie you watched had a tiny body and a really big head. <laughs> that was my favorite thing to do in video well, games. David, maybe if you add that to Quibi, you'll fix your, your money woes. Yeah, add big oh, head we mode. We did add it to Quibi. We did. Yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah. we brought, um, oh, no, I'm not, whatever. I'm going to stop making Quibi jokes. John Carry Travolta, on, 1997. <laughs> June, okay, yes. Face Off. August, mm. She's So Lovely. Huge. November, Mad yeah. City. Another hat trick year. 
But, um, but I mean, she's so lovely wait, wait, in Mad wait, wait, City. Wait I'm saying that that's another year where he has three yes. m- wide release movies that are studio Correct. movies that he is like in the movie. But and, two and of them face flop. off face off is him working with Wu again and Wu being mm-hmm. like what you were doing in Broken Arrow. Let's just do more of that. Like let's more, have be bigger. bigger and it's it works really well. Mad City is a Costa Gavras. Sure. Uh, English language political thriller with you Dustin know. Hoffman that uh, yeah. I, I must confess I have never seen. It's like a movie with men in it from the 90s. Some guys who hey. were famous in the 70s. Mar- <laughs> March 98, Primary Colors. December 98, the same day, Thin Red Line, which is obviously not really in the movie. He has and a one civil scene action. He's giving a speech. Yeah. Civil Action is his movie. Yeah, Civil Action is a great movie. I love that movie. But that's, you know, those are two big movies, again, like nine months apart. Mm-hmm. Like he's putting them out like every every five to eight months here, essentially. My man's working. He's got planes to fuel. I would say from Pulp Fiction, you know, 94, where he gets an Oscar nomination on, he is in a film that could at least be considered for the, for awards contention, right? Like get shorty, hmm. Michael and phenomenon, maybe not so much face off as she's a, whatever, but like civil action, primary color. Like he's in films yes. that studios will position properly. You know, like I'm sure he, yes, he is a movie star. He is a movie star of American proportions. But he's doing both. He's doing like blockbusters and legitimate films. Like June, he's trying to get Oscars and have action movies exactly. in the same right. June 99, right. Right. General's Daughter. Big hit. Yes. May 2000, hit. Battlefield Earth. Right. And then it's right. now we just drive straight off October of October 2000, cliff. Lucky Numbers. Yeah. And then Here just as a little epilogue, June 01, Swordfish. November 01, Domestic Disturbance. And now it's over. Right. Yeah. Now the next time you see him, he's like the bad guy in The Punisher. Yes. Well, right. There's basic, which is sort of like, it's like another epilogue, but like there's been coffee spilled all over it or something. Yes. Huge flop. And there's ladder 49, which I guess is him. That's like Oh three. Oh, Oh three. Oh four. four. Yeah. So like, that's like, I'm just saying like this run of his ends now, like between battlefield earth and this movie, it ends. And also when I watched him and, and Nora on Charlie Rose, 30 minute interview, he has the swordfish goatee just on right. sitting there at the table with her and she's acting like he doesn't have it on his face. It's Is unbelievable. Somehow the most offensive thing at that table. <laughs> Weirdly. Yes. yes. On any other episode, yes. you would have to blur out Charlie Rose for people on this one. He can stay, but Travolta's little razor thin line is not something that needs a warning now. I, I also think, and we've talked about this, but like all the post 2000 movies, he's kind of playing like elder statesman support for the new movie star. Like Sometimes. even if he's first build, but I'm saying like yeah. uh, swordfish is Hugh Jackman's movie. Even if yes. Travolta's first build ladder 49 yeah. is uh Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix's movie. Even right. if Travolta's first build Love Punisher is certainly Long. when is hairspray hairspray is 07. Here's the thing. This is what's so weird about John Travolta. Battle, Battlefield earth, lucky numbers, one, two punch of 2000, is certainly more than enough to consign him to like laughing stock territory, right? Yes, like full body blow. This is yes. and, and, and by and the like, way, when Charlie Rose asks him about it, he just calls it battleship. Great. Which <laughs> not that we Good need job, to give Johnny. him any comedy points. He doesn't deserve anything, but it is funny no. to call it battleship uh, I mean, to Travolta. Charlie Rose, <laughs> like beyond being an absolute fucking monster, was the worst interviewer ever. Like his whole the worst. thing the where he worst. was like, he's so terrible. Anytime I ever saw him, he'd just be like, anyway, so, uh, Huh? Like that's what his interview <laughs> style was. I don't understand I, how he was a serious journalist for so many years. 
That being said, I just want to say John something Travolta. about Charlie Rose very quickly. Oh, okay. God. Because I don't think I've ever talked about this on the podcast. I was cut out of, yet still somehow receive very minimal residuals for the Chris Rock movie Top Five. Congrats. Thank you. You were just below the five. You were. I make, I was six. I was number six. <laughs> you didn't uh, make Bottom five. I make, I make tens of dollars off of that hey. movie. Hey. Um, what is that movie but, about? A comedian. Uh, it's like uh, autobiographical, right? Rock was a guy. Yeah. What if like a comedian had a midlife thing where he talked to his friends about comedy? But this is the crazy thing. It's about what if Chris Rock became Denzel Washington? Like what if he then became the most serious, but not in like a face off way. Respected then you actor. get the sauce bit yes. off. So in what is now just part of the opening montage of that movie in which a lot of stuff is happening for context to explain to you, show you how famous this Chris Rock character is, there is little snippets of Charlie Rose conducting a New York Times talk with Chris Rock. And he's asking him questions about his career. And the entire day is just shooting that. It's just Charlie Rose, Chris Rock on stage. I was one of the kids asking some dumb fucking question in the audience. He has all of his lines on note cards in front of him. He is playing Charlie Rose, conducting an interview off of note cards. And he fucked up every single line for 12 consecutive hours. And his one job is you have to make it seem like this guy is so successful that everyone remembers the name of every movie he's been in. And Charlie Rose kept on getting the guy's name wrong. He kept on addressing Chris Rock by the wrong he's name. He's Chris Rock. He's a moron. Well, I, yeah, yeah, calling him Chris Rock or calling him like John Edwards. And he's like, it's Jake Edmonds. Like it kept on being classic. Like, classic. When, I say, when I say hello, Mr. Thompson, and step on your foot, you say hello. Yes. Yes. It was one of those. What was your line? My line was, do you still consider yourself to be a hip hop comedian? There you go. 12 bucks a month. I mean, did he? Did he? He did. He did. I will also say the only other tidbit from the Charlie Rose Travolta Efron uh, interview that I watched while Griffin was delaying this two hours to also watch Cabin Boy. Half an hour. I delayed it half an hour oh to God. watch Can Cabin Boy. You guys Boy. all stop yelling. I want to make my Travolta point. Get this over. Come on. The right. only what, thing what, he what, said, what? which will potentially feed your point, is he says in this interview conducted sometime in middle 2000, he, him and Tom Hanks are the same, according to him at this. And he says, he says, every script I get has, has Hanks's fingerprints on it. Every script he gets has my fingerprints on it. I couldn't do green mile. He couldn't do primary colors. We ended up doing a lot of sure. roles that get offered to one or the other. And Charlie oh, Rose John says Travolta to Nora Ephron. So did you, you know, was Tom Hanks someone you ever thought could be in this or John Travolta ever be in you've got mail. And she's like, no. <laughs> and that's that's kind of the gist of it but i don't view them as really peers or equals but john travolta views them no, as, not at all. He, he views them that way they, i Weird. can see how maybe travolta's like well we were both on sitcoms and I, I, he was the first choice for primary colors that's about it that's about as far as i can take we were it. both in big movies in 1994 Right. I mean, it's like they they weren't in the same lane. Yeah. But he probably views a civil action as a Tom Hanks type, you know, movie. Sure. Whatever. Anyway, he thinks they're more more similar than they are. This is the thing. Travolta's energy is unlike anyone else's energy. Correct? Correct. That's one way to put it. Sure. (laughs) Who's like Travolta? I guess Cage is this most similar in a weird sort of a way. Cage is totally different. 
but but like face off works because they are both actors when they are doing their thing that like their movie star thing you're like how on earth does yes. this work they're like lines that never quite cross but they got really close at face off and then just separated again it, it works because they're right. equally weird, but I would that's argue I mean, they're weird right. in different ways. Yeah, they're weird in very different ways, but, but they yeah. both are sort of that thing where like if you showed someone one movie of theirs and they'd, they'd be like, you're telling me this guy was like a huge, successfully famous like actor, huge? movie star, like what? Yeah. <laughs> At romantic leading man, Oscar contender, all those things. And the tooth, I'm saying post Battlefield Earth lucky numbers, which should be the death blow, but the man is a cockroach. Like he's been dealt death blows <laughs> before and he's never died, right? Like his career yeah. has survived everything. I mean, speed As kills, believe, but Travolta doesn't. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we talk about this a little in the, in the Michael episode, but like, so even though you have total flops, like basic and, you know, he still just will make leading man movies like wild hogs yeah. or, yeah. you know, what even taking Pelham one, two, three, where it's like in taking Pelham one, two, three, that performance is unhinged. Everyone Insane. else is doing kind of like gritty grounded work. Like it's a decent movie. And then he's just in it. It's like doing something complete. And you're like, why is he still in the club in a weird way? You know what I mean? Well, I quoted this in our, our Michael episode, but it's worth saying again, because it really applies for this movie that you look at the, the fact that like Travolta and Cruz are the two most prominent Scientologists. And you're like, sure. Tom Cruise is such a good spokesperson for that horrible fucking organization because he is like, look at how high functioning he is. Look at how well right. he's aged. Look at how youthful right. and focused he is. He's at such a high performance level. And then Travolta is like the opposite where it just seems <laughs> like he has no sense of who he is. He lacks such complete self-awareness, even just down to his like styling choices and a film like this, where you're just like, Cruz has never given a performance like this where he just fundamentally misunderstands how he reads on camera, what movie he's in, what the movie <laughs> is calling for, whether or not he should have made this film. Like like Cruz in something like Rock of Ages, you go like, you got to give him credit. He went for it. Like the guy doesn't embarrass himself. And Cruz sure. in a disaster movie is like Mummy where you're like, well, you miss sometimes. But Cruz never does this. John Travolta in this movie is bad. And this movie is bad. bad, but it's pretty good. But we all watched it and I listened to an entire commentary about it. Did now, you watch it he, two times? No, I watched the movie with Anna the other night. I bought the DVD, which as you know, oh, was right. something we were waiting for, which I still think we should give away. We should, everyone should, you know, we should all sign this and give it away somehow someday. And then I, I, I recorded the commentary onto my phone and then listened to it while I was doing yard work over the weekend. Wow. So you, you turned the commentary into a podcast, essentially. How well, did you to record it onto your phone? I'm fascinated. Oh, it's very pathetic. I took my old <laughs> phone that I don't use anymore, that I don't even know how to work it. I turned on voice sure. memo, put it in front of the TV, played commentary, recorded it. <laughs> old and school. Then came back like an hour and 45 minutes later and then sent it wow. to myself. Wow. That, that rules. Which was the only thing I could figure out. But I wanted, but honestly, like I wanted to listen to it because I really love Nora Ephron as a writer, as a personality, as a very funny woman. And I really like just what she has to say about things is funny. Like I've never listened to a commentary yes. of hers, but I have no doubt that they're all funny. She's a great one wit. of the wittiest people alive. I right? thought, you know, at the very least, like formerly a hundred minutes of her 
riffing right. no, is going no to be laugh. funny. And also Jesus. like, this is such an outlier in everything she's done, everything she is as a writer, as a personality. The I, only movie she didn't write herself. Yes. This is the only time she directed thought, someone else's script. I'm sure yeah, she'll right. say some funny stuff, but also there has to be some insight as to what the deal is with this. Because if it was just the disaster right. that she walked away from, she wouldn't have done a commentary. And I wanted to listen to it. Sure. And it delivered on all those things. It was insightful and she had some great lines. So, but when she's doing the commentary, does she know the movie is bombed? Because sometimes I feel like they do those right when the it movie's seems about to come out. There is right? no discussion of response to the movie at all. Sure, yeah. sure. Critical right, okay. audience. The cinema score F is I, not mentioned. I was about to say this is one of the early F cinema scores, probably which is amazing. One of the most famous. Jumping ahead a little bit because typically movies I think that get an F cinema score, like not to spoil right. lucky numbers. End with like the death of the main character or like something yes. that's like very unpleasant. It's where, there's two kinds. There's, there's, there's the box, which is like this, the last 20 minutes of this movie are such a confusing nightmare. Also I love, but like, or right, there's the, the like, this is an anti-hero who gets killed and fuck this movie. I'm giving it an F. And this movie has like kind of an uplifting coda where it's like, and here's how everything worked out. And then people are like, uh-huh, uh-huh, F. <laughs> but that's the thing right it's usually usually like some horror movie that people were just like absolutely not i despised every minute or some movie where they're like i did not get what i was promised right solaris mother you know those sorts of where it's like you know i killing was them softly. expecting this killing them softly right and i just did not get what i wanted now can i simplify it even further i think it is movies where audiences are so freaked out by how different it is than what they were sold right yes and with horror films it's like this took a turn that is not what i expect out of a horror movie and those other movies you're talking about are like they tried to sell them as more conventional genre things and those right. films In were the not cut, that. that's another one right right, right. bug yeah those, those the wicker man speaking of nicholas this King. this movie is exactly what it was sold as like that's right. what you have to think about because an f cinema score isn't Oh, we, the focus testing was terrible. These are people we plucked out from a mall right. who hated no. this movie. They had no concept of it's people no. who went out of their way to buy a ticket and go see it in theaters opening weekend. So it has to be deceptive marketing in some and way. It, uh, and it means that every single one of them, as they walked yes. out and were asked like, Hey, graded out of A to F were like, F every single one was like F F exactly because that's how hard it is to get an F cinema score. Why it happens like once a year, maybe haven't like, <laughs> isn't it like 40 movies total that have gotten less, it? far less, far it's less 20, mo 20 movies total have gotten. An and F this is one score. of them. Yes. And this is one of those hallowed films, which is incredible is because again, so truly like, you know, yes. the movies like that, like mother, where it's just like, I don't know what this is. A baby gets torn apart. Like I'm <laughs> repulsed. This does end with the main character going like everyone who was bad got punished. And as for me, well, I guess I'm just lucky F. This is my point. <laughs> so funny if, to me. If you see the trailer for this movie and go, Which oh, that not. looks good. I want to see that. And then pay to go see this movie opening weekend. I don't understand how you come out of it so irate about the quality of the movie relative to what you were I expecting. I have to imagine that it's just people who felt that the Nora Ephron of it was oversold and they were like, or the Travolta of it or whatever, like, like a man and a woman that are famous in a Nora Ephron movie. I have some sense of what this is. And what you get is like a, 
six generation Xerox of like a nineties black comedy, which I have yes. a huge list of that I want to read because I do want to talk while we talk about this about the black comedy. Cause I think this yes. is, yes. this is one of them. And the more research I did, the more fascinated I got just trying to come up with something of a definitive list of like, what were these movies and why were there so many of them? The obvious answer being Reservoir Dogs and Fargo. Yes. Reservoir Dogs and Sex Lies and Videotape. It's that those are the movies and Hollywood's like, can we make, but I really put Fargo in there as well. Cause I think between Reservoir Dogs and Fargo, it's like a slow start, but Fargo, which is like a comedy and a guy gets thrown a wood chipper changes the game. And then people are, and the one, I think the most important moment that like bursts the black comedy is Travolta shooting Marvin in the head. Like that, that, that's huge. A head sure. being yeah. blown yeah. off as a punchline combined with Fargo as a wood chipper punchline. To me, like th- now this is a genre unto itself. Well, can I, can I throw a little wrench into your argument? Please, and I you hope got, you say you're something forgetting, on my list. You're forgetting Heathers. I feel like I Heathers am not forgetting Heathers. It's on my list right, of okay. pre- pre right. Right, right, right. Okay, because right. I think there's another person you got to give some credit to. Cereal I, mo- I, think- I have Cereal Mom written here too. I think that's big. John Watt. John Waters is a huge one. Yeah. Uh, we talked about this a little bit in Mixed Nuts. I am. Uh, I have a weirdly big soft spot for like major studio, major movie star, 90s and 80s black comedies like this and early 2000s black comedies. Because it's one of those things that almost never works. And they always go like, this script is so dark. It's so good. All these actors are attracted to it. This big director is attracted to it. And then it comes out and everyone rejects it violently. Every Almost and every time. The list I'm going to read is a time. list of movies that are failures and people don't remember fondly. Now, here's the big exception who I think makes people still try to do this, although it's finally maybe dried up, that DeVito did it twice successfully, that DeVito had War of the Roses and Throw Mama from the Train. And you're like, here's a big star. He's making movies with other big stars. Both of them are like pitch black, violent, really, really dark comedies that were big hits and critically respected. And I will say that my my list in its in its vague chronology has only one movie after Death to Smoochie, a DeVito joint written by the writer of Lucky Numbers. Yes. Yes, that is true. But no, there's, I mean, beyond the DeVito ones you mentioned, there's Ruthless People and Other People's Money and stuff like that. Like, that was just a whole genre for him. DeVito as a movie star and as a director, like he was able to mine this thing better than anyone else. So here's my list of some of these. And what I'm saying, I already mentioned Heather's and Serial Mom. And these are not in order. Very bad things. Death mm. to Smoochie, Duplex, mm. uh, To Die For, which I think this movie owes a lot to, which has not been, yes. she does not acknowledge in the commentary and Adam Resnick does not acknowledge in what I read with him. But I think that this movie at its best could have been a bad version of To Die For, which is a great movie, mm-hmm. I think. Okay, uh, the I'm entire work of Todd Salons, Jawbreaker, Drop Dead Gorgeous, Cable Guy, Gross Point Blank, Clay Pigeons, Teaching Miss Tingle, um, and Bad Santa. Yeah, see, I like almost all of the movies you Where just cited. Where is Addicted to Love? I don't understand. Oh, David's favorite. My favorite, which Would is Bandits a, a huge be included one. on here? I think Bandits, Bandits is more of a dramedy. One. It's like yeah. heisty, yeah. It's double it's crosses better. and like yes. criminals who are the main characters. Like yeah. shit like that. I just feel like but, this but is this is that. This is right in the kind of right at the tail end of all that. Well, Bandits is the more grounded version of it. I realize this thing that I'm a sucker for, even when it's not well done. And it's bizarre that I'm a sucker for this because it's 
in its description, it sounds unappealing, but I always fall for it, is like pitched like a cartoon, incredibly dark comedy about movie stars playing morally reprehensible criminals who are very stupid and fuck everything. Palookaville, up. I guess, could be on here. Palookaville and, is a and good one. Death to yeah. Smoochie, I would put there. I, I read that? the Coen Brothers Lady Killer. Yes, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I, I'm including it. Well, I'm like, sure I'm sure Travolta's fingerprints were on the Lady Killer script, just as Tom absolutely. Hanks' fingerprints were on this script. The Lady Killers is the only movie Tom Hanks has ever done that feels like it could have been a Travolta, Travolta movie. Travolta-esque, yes. That's <laughs> the only one. And I, Do you think- I have... Griffin. I like that movie. Think, yeah. Do you think Travolta would have uh, given a subtle performance in The Lady Killers <laughs> if, if, if he'd gotten that role? I I wish I could see Travolta's performance in <laughs> The Lady Killers. Travolta is a murdering southern gentleman. <laughs> I wish I could see So that. have somebody make you, you, you a deep fake. you would soft that one? Yes, I want someone that's, oh my God, yes, someone please someone make take me a John, John Travolta, Travolta Lady Charlie Killers Rose deep fake. challenge, literally, and deep fake all their movies into, swap them all. The thing about Travolta that I don't really understand to this day, this is why I'm sort of ranting about it, but it's sort of like in Hairspray, when he is playing a character where the the command is like big, big, right? Like go as big as you can. It's awful. Yes. But then in movies where the command isn't that, and he just kind of, he's a big sort of, you know, domineering performer, it works fine. Like it's so weird how the tonal balance needs to be just so. Well, right. Like at at his best, this is the difference between Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. When he was in a sweet spot, he was equally good at like scaling things down and giving a leaving Las Vegas and being a real human being and being giving face off and going like, oh, I can go to the moon with this. Right. right. Cage at his best and he's lost the thread used to be very good at knowing exactly what movie he was in and giving a performance that was best suited for that movie. Travolta, you put him in something like People versus OJ and you go, so, you know play a real human being and he mm-hmm. gives a performance that's a cartoonish over the top performance but you're like fuck i this should be breaking the entire show but it works right i don't well, know it's like- why it's a river of ham but it works <laughs> then you put him in something like this and you're like john go big and it's like a war crime <laughs> well john travolta in this movie plays a man named russ richards let's not russ richards. a great fake name yeah it's like well also when i was watching this i was like so they made their you know her not last movie, but you know, like one at one movie ago, they made a movie together. Yes. So like they clearly get along. They well. should know how to work together. Absolutely. He's undoubtedly better in Michael, which but he's also miscast in that movie. He is. He's this. not great yeah. in that, but at least he's giving a performance. I mean, this performance yes. feels like the kind of thing that happens and you would read like, and, and Greg Kinnear dropped out eight days before filming. And, <laughs> yes. and like, Greg Kinnear, by the way, being on a suggestion of who could have maybe played a kind of character like this a little bit better. He'd be good. But like, I couldn't like this seemed like he came into this movie with no idea, no prep. And then on the commentary, she says he was attached when she got the script. He was all about this script. He was the one who was trying to get this thing made. Yes. Right. But then, but then weirdly in the interview, in the article that I read with Adam Resnick on Vulture, where he like, I guess is promoting his book a few years ago and talking about this. He, he claims the opposite. He claims that she brought Travolta in. So there seems to be some confusion, but I'll take her word for it over his. Well, I have two, two things I want to say that that are sort of related that I feel like we're about to lose. One, I have a thing about Cage and Travolta. I feel like this is what I've decided. 
Cage used to have a Geiger counter and he knew yes. his yes. limits, right? He could point mm-hmm. it at himself. And then I mm-hmm. guess it broke because like And he could look around the room and go, yes. got it, know how to match this. With Travolta, the director needed the Geiger counter. Like, yes. you know, it's yes. sort of, you know, because that's the thing, because like in OJ Simpson, he's over the top, but everything else is so dark and and so grim and, you know, everyone else is playing it pretty, you know, so like, so he's kind of fine. Like he's just pushing the limits a little bit yes. and everyone else is bringing it in. That's okay. But the other thing is you said Greg Kinnear. Solid choice. He'd be good at playing a guy who gets in over his head for sure. Yeah. 2000. Like a Bill normal Pullman guy. is in this movie. Yes. Bill Pullman would be okay. incredible she, in the league. She talks role. about some Pullman. Swap them. The commentary. Swap she talks, she talks a little Pullman in the commentary. I can get there when we get to his part. Pullman is so fucking good in this. He's great. Now that's the only problem is that he is actually very funny in really, funny. but another, but like, like an, another Efron player coming back. Yes. yes. Yeah. A lot of them. Richard Schiff, most famous for playing the Italian restaurant uh, waiter. And Michael, <laughs> Michael, she's bringing in all her favorite leading men. She says on the commentary that when that's Schiff doing the scene in the kitchen with uh, Tim Roth, right? Uh, yes. She yes. says at the end of that scene, the crew burst out into applause because it was like watching two prize fighters just like dance around Look. each other. Brilliant. I mean, he's good. Wow. I think that's an engaging scene. I think like Travolta's performance is so disastrous. And even if you guys don't like the rest of this movie, which I can't defend, you have to admit that most of the cast is doing a good job. But that's like Kudrow, Roth, Schiff. Something that I found. Michael Moore fits. Well, we'll get there. We will get there. We'll get to him. But something she talks about almost more than anything else in the commentary, which is something that Griffin, I'm sure you'll, you know, want to run with. And this being like, as we've talked about, you know, like the end of the kind of paramount comedy era Mm -hmm. is like all she cares about is comedy. Her respect for the idea of a comedic performance is the only thing she talks about throughout most of the commentary. She says casting comedy actors is the most important thing. She says she said it better than I will, but all her respect for the idea of a comedic performance is so, so strong. She says, um, Mm -hmm. it's amazing how many actors we can cross off the list when we're casting a comedy, we can go down the list and write NF and you know what that means. It means not funny, but like her respect for the idea of calibrating comedic performances seems to be the main driving force in all of her approach to anything, obviously, but even in something like this. And she rehearsed meticulously. I mean, she would rehearse like a play for all of her films to fine tune the performance for weeks before they actually got on set. So she cares about, I mean, so that's why the supporting cast in this, and I think kind of every movie is always like pretty solid and all really great actors doing great work. And this one thesis we keep on coming back to with this is that her work as a writer, a humorist, a prose writer, a nonfiction writer, before moving into film was sort of marked for its causticness, her her very sort of acerbic sense of humor. And whenever she tried to put it into her movies, Alex is holding up a copy of Crazy Salad and Scribble Scabble. Um, Whenever she tried to put it into her movies, it didn't work. It's very, what? Oh, signed. Oh my God. It says to Alex and Anna, all the best Nora Ephron. Wow. That rules. Um, Got a couple. No, it's just too. It's humble. It's brag. funny for someone. Yeah, big brag, real brag. I'm not humble. This was fun. We went to see her <laughs> read. For someone who had such good skills in terms of directing actors and comedies, is that a different? Yeah. How many signed Nora Ephron books do you own, just Alex? Two, Alex they just were from waited at her home. I also have this gem. Like I said, during my extra time, I was able to walk around and pick stuff up. 
have my This Is My Life tape. Good movie. Yeah. Yeah, good movie. Nice, nice, nice uh, Video Depot Mount Vernon former rental. Nice. The, the fact that she could make these souffle movies so well and couldn't make the dark films. And then this is like, this and Mixed Nuts are the two darkest scripts she has where it's like. And Mixed Nuts is you ex- bad. Like, I don't know. I mean. Yes, yeah, it's not yes. very good. But it's I like this, this a lot more than Mixed Nuts. I disagree. No. That's crazy. I disagree. And now I'm realizing. Yeah. But Mixed yeah, Nuts, okay. I just remember yeah. being like, oh, wow, there's a Nora Ephron Christmas movie that I've not seen. That must be good. And we were yes. watching it one Christmas and we were like, Ugh, so this is what Christmas looks like in California. This is disgusting. <laughs> the thing about Nora Ephron is like the ones you haven't heard of. Usually it's, it's like, well, there's a reason except for this is my life where like that Which is the one where you're like, from oh, the it's an unburied. Yes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But, I, but I think like mixed nuts and uh, uh, lucky numbers both have the thing where if, you could describe the plot to someone in a way that makes it sound like a drama. Like you could describe most of the events that happen in both films and it would not sound like a comedy. It is like comedies that are pointedly based around let's make funny material out of things that are inherently not comedic. Which does seem like the kind of thing she would want to perfect and clearly never did. And she kept trying and she never could get it right. And I'll, I and, do and I'll my, get to some of her intentions that she expresses on the commentary in this are very specifically that. But it's just like, it's also crazy to me that this is the movie she made after You've Got Mail, which is like, that is, yes. I mean, one of the all-time great return to form movies, whether you love her it or not. Her highest grossing right. film. Yeah. Like, whether yeah, you love it or not, like, like, slam dunk. that is exactly what people wanted instead of Mixed Nuts and Michael. I want to do, I know this episode is going to be 90% context, but I just want to do my very quick table setting for Adam Resnick. And then I want to do my quick, because in addition to the signing that you now know I've (laughs) gone to, I want to do, because I have four fun kind of run-ins with her sort of in my life-ish with Anna. And now one of them was going to the signing. There's three others that are fun to talk about because again, we love her a lot and she means a lot to us, which makes watching this movie Lucky Numbers all the more dispiriting. And then Romley's going to do a very quick kitchen corner. Well, that's why I demanded Um, it because I was curious. David is currently (laughs) bleeding out of his eyes. This is what I want (laughs) to say about Resnick. What about Resnick? Resnick is a fascinating career. Well, he's originally a Letterman guy. Letterman guy. He becomes Chris Elliott's main writer. Right. Uh, They become the main collaborators for all the Elliott stuff, and then he creates, uh, co-creates, get a life, life, which is like one of the great cult TV shows. In Back the early in the days day of Fox. When cult right. TV shows were really cult TV shows. Yes. They could carve out like two seasons. They aired yes. at weird times. On a network that was still getting its sea legs that didn't have enough uh, other programming to replace it. So it somehow eked out two full seasons despite being hated. And then if you didn't yeah, exactly. know someone who taped it, it was gone. Right. It, it was, was trading gone. tapes or going to the Museum of Television Radio or like it was impossible to find for so long. Um, right. but, but a great show. And then it's like, this is the kind of thing that used to happen in show business where it's like, here are these two guys who are weirdo gonzo comedy elements of the weirdo gonzo late night show. They use that cachet to make a network sitcom. That sitcom flops. Then the studio said, I don't know, I guess you should make a movie now. Like they got promoted 
up the ranks. So then they write a script that is so esoteric that is, what if we made a parody of Ray Harryhausen adventure films starring me, the guys who, guy whose comedic angle is, I play a brat. I play an entitled asshole. I'm so an, they an make overgrown ca- child, yes. Right. They write Cabin Boy, which is an effects-driven comedy for Tim Burton to direct. Tim Burton is going to do it. Then he quits because... Ed Wood comes to him, but he still stays on as producer. Disney finances Cabin Boy, releases it to theaters. It becomes the biggest punching bag of its year. Letterman makes jokes about being in Cabin Boy for ages because he's so yeah. embarrassed by the movie. Cabin the Boy movie made, about, rules. made about half a black hat, to be clear. Right. It made half a black hat. It's like a big stain on everyone's career. Chris Elliott has to like take his licks and do one shitty season of SNL post movie post get a life. And then Resnick is like, I guess I can't have this partnership with Chris Elliott. I guess Chris Elliott's going to become like a supporting actor and shit like Groundhog Day. I need to figure out how to make my own bones. And he writes two of the most reviled mainstream comedy scripts of the next 10 years. He does death to Smoochie and lucky numbers. Like he does one season of Larry Sanders, but then he writes two scripts that both have the same reputation. were equally despised, big flops starring big movie stars. And he's just sort of like, I don't know. I guess people don't like what I do. And both of them are just the same mistakes. And I like them. And both of them kind of posit as its main theory, watching folks kill each other for money it's funny. is hilarious. They're Which both it's that not. same thing. It's just not it's funny. It's the same thing. It's not funny. I'm the no. only person who finds it funny. I mean, I, yeah, I, I love to figure out why. Gotta love giving more white men chances in Hollywood to fail upwards. Hey, they did great work, though. Great. This is the thing. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, not like important. we're talking about dudes Ange, who At least in this suck. case, they got to drag down a white woman with them. That's true. A famous white Jewish woman was dragged down (laughs) totally by this script. But by the way, but it's worth mentioning, she does in the commentary speak very fondly of him and this script. It's not like, oh, I got this thing I didn't like. She's like, oh, it's a wonderful script. He was a great writer. I loved having him around. He was rewriting it. Like once we were up and running and he saw the look, like she's very gracious about the writer on the one movie she didn't write. And I love his book and it's like a very sort of self-aware, self-effacing take of like, this is my career of being a guy working in show business where everyone hates everything I make. Like the public reacts violently. And, and this is the difference, Ange. I mean, yes, they were allowed to fail upwards in a way that non-white men And write don't. a book about failing upwards. But, but well, here's no the difference. book. One person bought it, it sounds like. No, fair enough. I I want to defend this. I want to defend this. No, because I think there's so many guys who suck, who make crappy shit and are bad people and continue to fail upwards. I think the the Chris Elliott, Adam Resnick thing defies logic because at every opportunity, they never should have been given another chance. Nothing they did was commercial. Nothing they did was liked. And what they did was actually funny and has aged well outside of this movie. Well, ju- just just to say, the reason they got chances was that they worked on Letterman, which was the comedy load star of the 80s, was the coolest comedy show of the 80s. Yeah. So everyone coming out of Letterman was considered, you know, like hot shit. Like that was the coolest comedy show in the 80s. And Letterman produced Cabin Boy and he's in it. And like, you know, he produced he Get a Life. He right? didn't like, produce it, but he's in it. He produced Get a Life. Yeah. He, he gave his blessing yeah, I thought to it. Worldwide Hands produced it. Hmm? Produce Cabin Boy? I don't think I so. Oh, I can I guess, double check that. Not. Cabin Boy rules. I yeah, love it's a bad movie. movie. It's a good, yeah. Hell yeah. 
Put it on. Put it on, that. put it on the list of Ben's choice someday, maybe. <laughs> I would love to do Cabin Boy. We should. The other thing is, inexplicably, after Tim Burton quits, they let Adam Resnick direct Cabin Boy. Aside yes. from being a, an insane first movie to make with all these effects, and then he's just like, "Well, people hated me and my movie. I can never direct a film ever again." And Lucky Numbers feels like something that he probably wanted to direct himself. He probably should have directed both Lucky Numbers and Death yes. of Smoochie. So did, yeah. did did everybody did did anybody else read the like Vulture interview with him only about Lucky Numbers? Yes, where he just like talks about how he like you know he's from. Harrisburg. He remembers this story. He wanted right. to this write was it. This was a true story. Right. right and right. he like grew up remembering this and wrote this, you know, darker script called numbers and, you know, just kind of watched as it became not what he wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, because I, right. It gets worked into somewhat of a comedy. I mean, the reason this movie is an abject failure is that it doesn't know what it is. Um, so the scenes where people die, you literally have to rewind the movie and be like, wait, I'm sorry. Did I just watch a murder? Because it happened <laughs> yeah. with the energy of someone fucking opening a door. Like nothing just happened and someone died. Like I need this to either be madcap or dark, like, but it's neither. This movie cannot pick a lane and Travolta is the emblem, you know, emblematic of that. I don't know who is he. Is he even bothered by any of this? Like he never even seems confused or angry. Like he just walks into scenes with like, at, like he's just at a five all the time. Like Kudrow, she's playing big. She's being weird. Mm-hmm. Like she's being funny. She's reacting. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But like Travolta, I just want someone to walk up to him and be like, uh, uh, yeah, you know, you're part of a conspiracy that involves murder and theft. Like FYI, that's your character. What, what he's doing in the movie. He hits that when he's on air and is finding out. Yes. The one scene where he's freaking out on Which the, she, on can I, can I read, TV. can I read what she says about that scene in the commentary? Yes. Obviously we're jumping way ahead here. But that's the best scene in the, in the commentary. Movie, right? She says, yeah, yeah. Um, she says, this is one of the scenes that I knew if we could get it to work, it would be so funny. Nailed like it. just knowing right. that that was a, a scene and she speaks very highly of his performance in that moment. And I do want to, and also I do want to set the table because her kind of introduction of like what the deal was with how she saw this movie, as I already mentioned in relation to, to die for does kind of make sense. Mm-hmm. And also I do want to, give a tiny bit of, of uh, context for why we love Nora so much and why Light I want to do this. Cause I don't want this to just be like, haha, this is her worst movie or a bad movie. It's, it's more like she's really important and we really love her work, but not all of it. And that's very interesting mm-hmm. when you love anybody. Um, so if I may, so mm-hmm. like I said, okay, so I have four encounters with her or her family roughly in our, in my life. Number one of which is that Anna and I, when I remember nothing came out, went to see her read at Barnes and Noble Union Square. It was really fun. She read it. She was hilarious. Autograph signing. We got this old paperback signed and she said, oh my God, I haven't seen one of those in 30 years. We felt very honored. Number three, at the Lincoln Center. Rob- that was number one. Well, and there are four. Okay. These are in no order. Okay. Except okay. one of them is the best that I'll save for last. They're in okay. no order, but you're saying the numbers that you wrote next <laughs> yes, to each of them. Because I've things. gotten off okay. track. Um, at the Lincoln Center Chaplain Gala of Rob Reiner that we went mm. to in like, I don't know, 2013. Our modern day Charlie Chaplin. Obviously. Because they only, yeah, that you think that they give out the Chaplain Gala every year. They don't. They just get it once for Reiner. 
one time they waited for <laughs> one person to fill Chaplin's yes. shoes. Future and it was Reiner. blank check miniseries subject, Rob Reiner. Yeah. Um, and Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan came out together to, you know, introduce some clips or something. And Anna lost her shit. Just seeing <laughs> the two of them standing next to each other at a podium. Like she just like, it was the most exciting thing she'd ever seen growing up on the West coast, fetishizing the New York of when Harry met Sally. And it was very exciting. All right. Number, whatever number C B I'll do that. Like they do it in a bad comedy <laughs> where you change from numbers. To Unbelievable. Letters. Um, her son, Jacob Bernstein, who made the documentary about her that was on HBO. Mm -hmm. Um, when Schwartzman and I did the, the section for the New York times, um, like a night out with, you know what the section is? It's like in the styles where it's just like a column of like, someone who has something to promote and they spend a night with mm -hmm. them. Uh, we did it with him. So we had like dinner with him and then he like went to a bookstore with us. And then we like went uptown to try to get tickets to inherent vice, but we were like hanging out with him and picking his brain about whatever and talking about his mom because Jason had worked with her in bewitched, uh, teeing up my special gift to you guys. Um, so it was fun to hang out with Jacob Bernstein. This is before he made the documentary. Super nice guy. Although Jason and I felt like we were boring the hell out of him at our dinner because <laughs> we were like, oh, he wants to write an article. And what we're doing is like what we actually would be doing tonight, which is eating and going to a bookstore. And he knows this is not a good article. <laughs> and then the final thing that was really exciting for big Nora Ephron fans like us is last year um, I was being given some like award with a, like a conversation at the Sun Valley Idaho Film Festival. And the big guest of honor was Meg Ryan. So we were like, oh, that's cool. And in order to get to Sun Valley, you have to fly from JFK to Salt Lake City and then Salt Lake City to Sun Valley. And they flew Anna and I both business class. And in the seat in front of us from JFK to Sun Valley was Meg Ryan. Like the seat wow. in front of me. And then also on the next leg of the flight, she was in front of us again for the like the 40 minute flight. And So you guys were Billy Crystal behind her. I, it really did feel... It felt, it felt like we were in a movie, but then on the TV screen, on the back of the chair, one of the options was when Harry met Sally and Anna was just like, <laughs> oh. how fucking crazy is it that this movie, like we could watch this on a seat that her head is touching. <laughs> how cool would that be? Which we you could smell her hair, which we did not do. Well, wait course, a second. You could, I'm not saying you should. <laughs> I advise against it. Piece. It was an option. It was just an option. But anyway, yeah, those, cut off a little piece of hair. Those are the four kind of like, you know, contextual senses of like just how exciting it is to sort of think about her work and her legacy and her personality and her, you know, the people she's worked with, the iconic collaborators and her family of intellectuals and writers and her creative family. It's all very interesting. So I didn't want to watch Lucky Numbers because I thought it would be shitty. I wanted to watch it because it's like the last piece of the puzzle. See, I had the opposite thing, which I was just like, I am resigned to thinking this movie is shitty and then put it on and 30 minutes and I was like, oh, fuck, right? I'm the only person who finds movies about dumb criminals dying to be entertaining. I'm the I only like one. I plenty of movies about dumb criminals dying. Name no, like these one, types David. of cartoonish, name one. Fargo? <laughs> That's the one. You don't get that. Everyone gets that one. Pick one off That's of my mulligan. list, David. Do you prefer yeah, clay, one clay pigeons to, to uh, gross point blank? Fucking, I don't know, like the Lavender Hill Mob. Like, what? I, don't, I, I, I mean, Colin Farrell's like, right there, David. Yeah, Wait a Colin second. Farrell. Great Wait dumb a criminal. What? Wait a second. Wait a second. Are you gonna, David. 
Why would you pick an Ealing brother comedy? Oh no, God. it's just Ealing Studios. They're not brothers. Well, how would you know that? God damn it. <laughs> I know how that because I, cr- I grew up in England and I grew up in London, in fact, where Ealing Studios was, although I grew up in North London, not West London. And Which now really I'm realizing nice. that once again, I think for the fifth week in a row, I have fucked <laughs> yep. up what is supposed you to be. <laughs> After nailing it the first time, I have proceeded to fuck it up in every episode since then. Is the new bit that you just can't do the bit? I don't he, know what he the forgot bit is. that the bit this time is supposed to be that he knows that I grew up in London. But what he doesn't know is that before I moved to London, I lived in the Upper West Side. Oh, that's a good one. That's what? a good. That's, that's good. That's good. Whoa. That's a, right. It's a good bit, and I <laughs> fucked it up. Oh my the god! The bit is uh, Zoom really does start to rot away at your brain. <laughs> oh, that's 100%. the new bit. Hundred yeah. percent. Yes, going into month four of my entire life being Zoom, I barely know how to speak to people anymore. Boy, oh boy. But anyway, uh, yes, uh, I think you just leapt at the fact that I said an Ealing comedy, but I think of Ealing comedies when I think of like, you know, it's a a dog whistle for criminals. Yes. Hey, should Um, we talk about the plot? Yeah. Yes. This is what I wanted to say. (laughs) This is what I wanted to say. And this is, I was going to say this to center everything back on to talk about the plot of the movie. The fundamental thing this movie asks you to accept, the buy-in to the premise of the movie is this Travolta guy is so fucking charming. This guy is so beloved in his community. He's so innately charismatic and good at everything he does that he's not just the most beloved weatherman I have ever seen, but he's been able to spin that off into multiple businesses, like PSAs. He has his own roped off velvet booth at Denny's and they have an omelet omelet named after him. And he is so off-putting from the first moment he's on screen. The jokes in this movie are so bad. There's some I like. There's an omelet named after me here. The like, did I tell you about this? Well, just in, for the sake of expediency, let's go with yes. Like, this is the worst kind of writing. I'm going to pull up some jokes I like. <laughs> Here's the way to set up lucky numbers. Like, okay, so in the commentary, she talks a lot. She's like, this is one of these movies. This is a story about these kinds of people that I'm fascinated by. These people who are like television personalities who in another era would have been like local shoe salesmen or businessmen. Mm -hmm. And now they're kind of famous. And what we've seen in our culture is a huge, I'm not quoting for, you know, specifically, but she's like, what we've seen is a huge rise in people like this who kind of seem like they're famous, but they're not, but they think that they're important. And they all have these weird schemes of things like owning a dealership. And she was really interested in this corrosive sense of modern entertainment and media and celebrity. Again, to die for does this perfectly five years earlier. But that is what she's a good version. That is what she is thinking about with this character. And she really seems to find that to be incredibly compelling. That's so dated. Like local TV celebs are more of a thing in like the eighties when this scandal happened. And this is 2000. There's a fucking internet. It absolutely should have been a period film. It is. It says 1988 in the beginning of the movie. Does it? Yes. It says Harrisburg, 1988. How did I completely miss that? Everything about this movie feels like it's set in the year 2000. And a lot of what she talks about is she's like, you know, you go to Harrisburg, it does not look like the present, but we wanted it to be very timeless. Sure, Harrisburg, not the sexiest city in the world. (laughs) No offense to it. I I must say, as a, you know, Pennsylvania resident, 
by birth, seeing this kind of drab Pennsylvania 80s. I mean, the aesthetics of this movie, I love. I live in it and I love it. It's, it's, I actually loved all the locations, the kind of dark griminess of it took me it's back. It's your bicentennial, man. Yes, it's my Bicentennial Man, if you will. I want to live in it. Except unlike Bicentennial Man, I actually watched this this movie. Uh, I can't get over thinking for just one second that Ben wanted to live in Bicentennial Man. That's what was so confusing to me about it. It's so, I know, I know. It's just great. It, it is now the fourth time we've discussed it on so mic funny. and off mic since the Zoom started, and it's still funny. <laughs> Um, here's, here's her, here's her kind of introductory statement on the commentary. I don't think of this as a movie about crime as much as I think of it as a movie about one of those human weaknesses we all have. I actually think it's one of those things that's almost Shakespearean, which is a ludicrous thing to say about a movie like this. But the temptation to do that thing, to make a huge amount of money. If you say to me, I don't understand this, then you're lying. Everybody's got it. And then later she says, I was influenced by things like fortune cookie or even double indemnity. That thing Billy Wilder would do where there isn't somebody in the movie who isn't guilty of something or other. And she talks about double indemnity a lot in the commentary. Well, double indemnity is one of the most famous pieces of like film noir of all time. Here's an incredible, this is the last thing I have from the commentary is an amazing Nora Ephron line between the sweater and Lisa's performance. We were going for a little teeny taste of Barbara Stanwyck and double indemnity with a woman with absolutely no remorse at all. And a really great sweater. Love it. Love it. She's got a good sweater. I love Lisa. But anyway, that seems like how she saw this movie. Can I ask? Before we go into the plot, Alex, do you think this much when you do, I assume you've done director's commentary. Do you think this much about the like stuff you add on to your movies? And do you imagine that someday someone's going to like record in front of a TV? Um, it's a great question. Uh, I've only question. done two of question. my own movies and I Which only, ones? um, for Philip and her smell. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I only viewed like, to me, it's only like, I love these when I was younger and I just want this to be the thing that like the 2% of people that will listen to this will be like, Oh, that does tell me the thing I wanted to learn about how a thing gets made. Time well I used. I got what like, I, what I, I, I wanted. Yeah. Cause yeah. it's always right. like, I'm just going to throw this on and see what it is. And the ones that are great, you're just like, I can't stop listening to this. This is just like yes. nuggets of gold left and right. How they did this shot, what this location was, this, the cast. And like, that is crafty, what I, like the what? all of this crafty. crafty. All yeah. All the important only wants to hear about. Yeah, crafty. I do try to make, I mean, but you know, no one ever tells me they listen to them. So I don't know. I mean, I always do. I feel like we like Blank Check is a podcast where the the Venn diagram of people who <laughs> listen to our show and people who listen to commentaries is a perfect circle. Right. Like that's that's the exact audience of people who listen to commentaries. People who are like, I need more context. I need to understand how and why these decisions were made. Part of the thing with the commentary is that like Lucky Numbers is not on Blu-ray. And probably no. will never be. If after the previous 90 minutes you're thinking I need to get that, don't go searching for it. It's not there. But like it's going straight to 4K. It's just though, interesting to me yeah, that right. like there is an SD DVD of this movie that has a hundred minutes of one of the most famous wits of American culture. And right. like unless you buy this SD DVD, that content of Nora Ephron is lost. So that's why you held an old cell phone up to a TV (laughs) so it could be captured for all posterity and submitted to the the National Registry. Right. Now we can distribute that. 
Yeah, maybe we yeah. should just make that our bonus episode. Let's just Library draft that on the Patreon so no one will get mad at us. <laughs> it's a good yeah, freebie. It's definitely not copyright infringement. It's <laughs> right. free. Who's actually going to pursue that? Who's actually going to go, hey, sorry? That's the question. Maybe someone will. Maybe there's someone in some dusty office who's like, I'm in charge of all DVD commentaries <laughs> 2000 to 2005, and I'm just surfing the internet waiting for beep, one to drop. Beep. So that's the ultimate scam. Sir, we've identified a Patreon feed. <laughs> It looks like it's a special bonus drop. Yes, Griffin's announcement coming over the speaker at the FBI headquarters in Quantico. <laughs> and there's someone down there yes. waiting for the new Patreon drop, and they're like, sir, we've got one. <laughs> <laughs> because I did, I, speaking of copyright, I asked Ben if I could play music because I wanted to play Get Lucky by Daft Punk on the episode. Good he job. said no, so I just texted it to you guys. Yeah. Yes, and I replied I to you it. with the theme song from CBS's Numbers. Yes. <laughs> so the basic step of this movie is that John Travolta is this very successful, very beloved local celebrity who also is deeply in debt. Everyone thinks he's really successful, but he has somehow blown all of his money. They, Tim Roth calls out, it's weird. You're not married. You don't have expensive hobbies. You don't drink. You don't do drugs. How did you lose all your money? And Travolta goes like, I, I don't know. It just disappears, which I expected oh there's gonna be some late reveal of some weird reason why he lost all his money some weird habit he has or some weird mistake he made no it never comes it's up sunny. the guy just it's just the weather's warm he's just stupid is the he's just is stupid. the reasoning i got he did not sell his pumpkin futures in October. He didn't. He's he's got a bad sense of the climate for a weatherman. Right. I guess that's the joke, right? Right. Uh, Lisa Kudrow plays the woman who pulls out the ping pong balls uh, on the the weekly lotto drawing. They both work at the same station. Which they for people who together. are younger than us used to be a job. Used to be a job. Used to be a series of jobs. A whole industry. There was a British, because we've already done the fucking bit, uh, game show called Talking Telephone Numbers where two people literally hosting the show were just like, we're just going to call telephone numbers that we pick out of a lottery and uh, anyone who picks up gets money. Like that was the whole premise of the show. So how did you know that? How you, yeah. just, did you like, wait, wait a second. Uh, no, 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 uh, no, Alex. No, no, no. This makes sense because you don't realize David grew up in England and he lived there his entire life. He lived there from the time he was born until his mid twenties. And then he moved to New York, but that was the first time that David had ever stepped foot in New York. Of course was, in his 20s. He's just shuffling so angrily in his window there. <sighs> but is, yeah. Steam is coming out of his teeth. Um, so, Russ needs money. Russ, Russ, needs, Russ, money. Need, Russ, need, say, Russ needs money. I was going to say, they're having an affair. I'm trying oh, to by the get way, the Ange, plot out Ange, as quickly thing, as possible. One thing she does do in the commentary is she says very specifically, she goes, for people listening to this who care about screenplays, this is the end of Act 1. And then later she goes, and for those people who still care, this is the end of Act 2. She's like very methodical about the idea of structure and writing and comedy performances. Well, she also knew that the lucky numbers commentary was going to be used as a teaching tool. Right. Um, so Lisa Kudrow, Travolta are having an affair, but also Lisa Kudrow and Ed O'Neill, who is their boss, are having an affair. Now, Ed O'Neill, uh, I, I mean, David, we committed about 30 minutes to each of these supporting characters. Yeah, it's not going to happen. I'm sorry. <laughs> the, I, 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 I have to put in all the Ed O'Neill time. That's out. I will. Okay, let me just say quickly about Ed O'Neill. While watching him, I was like, 
Is Ed O'Neill dead? How come I haven't seen him in anything in a long time? He's on Modern Family. Modern He's family. Made guess Billions. I didn't know that. Yeah, I guess I forgot that he'd been on that show for 12 years, but I thought he was one he's of those got like people. like nine consecutive Emmy nominations. <laughs> yeah, he's like the king of the sitcom. He's not dead at all. He's stronger yeah. than ever. Truly one of the most highly paid men on television over the last <laughs> right. decade. She speaks very highly of him and calls him an actor of Shakespearean qualities. I love him. I, I'm a I huge Ed O'Neill. He feels fan, like a, he right? feels like he feels like a Ben guy, and and uh, Mary with Children feels like a Ben show. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay, let me just do a quick twenty minutes on Ed O'Neill. So Ed O'Neill Absolutely is born, not. and not- <laughs> no, no. Absolutely not. The only Colin actor Mockery? we will be doing. Well, there's ah, fuck. There's three actors we need to do a fair amount. Give of. me some credit. I'm trying to speed round the plot. Look, I'll, be, I'll, I'll, be honest. I'll be honest. I, you know, I like to write down a lot of notes when I'm watching the movies for these. I did not get a lot of notes on this one. There's not a lot to write no. down during this movie. This plot is very quick and very dumb. And that's why I'm trying very, to just set it up as quickly as possible for people who haven't seen it. Cause not everyone who listens to the show might take <laughs> an hour and 40 minutes out of their life to watch lucky numbers. We're just to point out, we're about an hour and 40 minutes into the episode. Uh, <laughs> well, like 10 at the beginning was kind of a mistake. Having the what at the beginning? You no, know, there was a little bit of a, of a hiccup at the beginning, right? I don't know how accurate that clock is. Oh, that's true. Look, and we should here's keep what I have written down jumping ahead at 24 minutes. Tim Roth and John Travolta reuniting for the first time since Pulp Fiction decide to rig the lottery. 24 right, minutes. That's into the, the big thing. Right, because originally Travolta's get-rich-quick scheme is Tim Roth, his best friend who owns a strip club and also is the chef. And is British. Uh, and he's British. And, and who she Giggs. calls in the commentary the devil. Yes. she's yeah. trying. He's trying to teach John Travolta how to fleece his way out of debt. Right. So he suggests right. that John Travolta hires thugs to rob his own snowmobile dealership. Which he envisions insurance fraud. A little classic right, yeah. insurance fraud, which he envisions as a sort of craft work music video of Volvo driven right. efficiency of men in black leather and lasers <laughs> and the whole the whole production yes. and his imagination is very classy. And his happy ending, how he comes out of it with all this money and new It's very and all much that. like a joke in Shaun of the Dead. But they hire Michael Rappaport, who's a loose cannon, and also Travolta's employee at the dealership. Uh, it has used his keys that and, night. And, to but what get is laid Michael Rappaport's character's name? It's Dale, Dale the Thug. Dale. Dale, the, Dale the what? Dale, Dale the thug. thug. His name is Dale, Dale the thug. thug. Dale T. Thug. This now is he, when Michael Rappaport is doing. I mean, the, uh, this is my favorite stat, and this is why I needed to bring him up. Okay. He is credited as being in eight films in the year 2000 just what? in the year 2000 eight films the the films are next friday he plays a mailman the sequel to friday uh small woody allen's small time crooks he's in that because he was in he's, he's in a ton of woody of allen crooks movies. i believe yes. he wears his digging helmet backwards in the trailer because he says it looks cooler with the light facing the other way right i mean it's just the the years rapaport got playing dummies uh yes. like you know very you know anyway uh he's in the the arnold schwarzenegger film the sixth End of days. day oh the sixth day right that the days weren't over yet he's in yeah. men of honor the uh oscary robert Jeez. denny jr cuba gunning jr navy movie another mm. auteur he worked with many times he's in bamboozled spike lee's bamboozled yes. incredible yes. performance in. yeah great he's great amazing performance, great movie he's in a john leguizamo vehicle i've never heard of called king of the jungle he's never in heard. 
a Swedish heist comedy film called Chain of Fools, and he is in Lucky Numbers. That is right. Eight. How many people are in eight movies in a is year? Is he on Boston? What's this Boston show he's on at this time? Boston. He's on Pub- Boston Public them. next year. Next year. He's on all Boston. He's on all the Boston shows. <laughs> Until Bill Burr comes for his crown, he is on all the Boston shows and playing all yeah. the Boston thugs. He's a New York guy, but yes. Is the, is is 2000 an anomalous year for him or is he in like 6 in 99 the dude and 6 a lot. in 2000? I don't think he says no. His average is more like 4 a year and then 2000 for some reason it was an avalanche. Sure. I don't know why. She says on the commentary that he ad-libbed all of the baseball stuff and he came in loaded with baseball facts and ideas just ready to spew. Yeah. And by the way, she also says that Maria Bamford, who we skipped over, Maria Bamford is the local waitress at the Denny's. Where we didn't skip over her. We barely I've been got trying to outline the plot. She has the best line in the movie, in my opinion. We have She's so good in this movie. The initial scene where he's at his Denny's booth, so we have gone past it. She yeah, comes up she's many in times. multiple parts of the movie. She sandwiches the movie. Yes. But yeah. she Can I say- apparently also did a lot of ad libbing. And, you know, to me, okay. it's like I didn't know who she was in 2000. Kind no, of this was movie. this was an early time to pick Maria Bamford to have her on your radar as like your uh, classic you like, kind of dim small town waitress. Yeah, she's got like a good supporting role. Uh, she's so funny. I I just want to point out of the eight movies he did in two thousand, Michael Rappaport did three inept criminal comedies. Three right. out of eight. Crooks. He's a great scumbum. Yes, he, he he's kind of like he a is. king of the ginger scumbums. For sure. But but the main sort of like gimmick to this character is he is a thug who also loves sports memorabilia blender. and uses it's a good blender. He uses his very expensive sports memorabilia to commit the acts of robbery, except it's not really a blender because it kind of almost is a plot detail that that he gets himself in danger because he won't leave his bat behind. It's true. He does love his bat. He loves his bat because it's an original. This goes south. Game used, yes. And they get pinched. And now he wants $10,000 extra from Travolta for his pain and suffering. Because his weird employee gets like, he's trying to like mack it His employee is someone that Anna felt should have been played by Steve Zahn. Absolutely. Uh, I know this is stupid. I do genuinely find funny just the larger joke of he keeps on accumulating more debt. Yeah. That everything he does as a get rich quick scheme somehow ends with him owing someone else more. That money. is, I funny. like that. I think that's funny. It's a funny running gag for someone who's not an inept criminal, but an inept person who's in debt. Yes. I like that. It's kind of like how we picture Nicholas Cage is in real life. <laughs> Yes. Like he, yes, it's very Nicholas Cage. Right. He yes. agrees to do to a movie to get out of debt, but the movie shoots somewhere where he loses all of his money gambling. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Lots of things in this movie, you know, on paper could be funny. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's 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 a reasonable premise like to let's adapt this real life scandal. Right. Yeah, you know, brainless crooks there, you know, Lisa Kudrow is kind of like all brass, no, no smarts. I don't know. You know, you know what I mean? Like they, yeah. it all makes sense. It's just that every, I don't the know. Tone it, is, it, it, it the never problem. hits the tone. The tone that she's, if, no, if, if yeah. you heard her word yeah. and she's going for double indemnity, you need like, just like, so like such a perfect blend of yeah. like weirdly funny lines, but not funny characters just in way over their heads in a way that the tone is just like, 
tense because you know the other shoe's going to drop. And it's never a tense. Movie, a movie I like that falls into this sort of category is uh, The Ice Harvest, the Harold Ramis That's movie. One. That's a good one. Which is a lot closer to feeling like a genuine noir. He's not just saying, oh, it's like a noir movie. That film has more atmosphere, more tension. It's more dramatic. It's slower. <laughs> it's more darkly lit. This zone of like, we're, we're making a very dark comedy with murder and crime that also has the energy of a Looney Tunes cartoon, uh, audiences uh, always vomit at. And she says on the Charlie Rose interview, she's like, I wanted to do stuff I've never shot before. I've never sh- shot someone throwing a body off of a bridge before, which is weird because I thought I remembered that happening in Sleepless in Seattle. <laughs> but also the, the, they're right on the, the shot she pulls yes, off exactly. that I really like is is the the truck flipping that is funny that shot's yeah. amazing that, that, that is funny. the funniest that's joke or shot in the movie Chris Nolan Nora Ephron great truck flips yes. can we call out Cinema's that mixed nuts fifty percent of mixed nuts is characters moving around a dead body this is that true. movie this is, is true. mostly body bridge. They don't throw it off a bridge. They throw it up into the air. They put it in yeah. a Christmas tree. They, they throw it downstairs. It's also worth yeah, mentioning. Throw it a lot. I wrote down that this movie is vaguely Christmassy and that it starts in what they say is the lead up to the Christmas season. She loves Christmas. Yeah, got oh, snow. Yeah. Much like myself, a Jew who loves Christmas so much. Many of her movies involve Christmas. Yes. But yes. then like you lose that and I didn't have any idea. Has Christmas happened? There hasn't really been like... In the commentary, she's like, now, of course, it's January by now. And I feel like the lotto drawing was the week after no. Christmas. And I was like, yeah, oh, oh, yeah sure. Maybe. Could not track that outside of the one time Lisa Kudrow wears a Santa hat. But you know what else happens around this point in the movie that we do need to talk about is at minute 30, a, a non-actor, a cross-vocational performer Here we enters go. into the film. Asthmatic, a little bit dim, with a crush on his cousin. And and a real aficionado of masturbation. And that is $100 million grossing documentary filmmaker. Academy Award Palm, Palm d'Or winner. Michael Moore. All true. This is all Big true. This is, I, this two, is his only... A, a three-scene performance? Yes. And his only performance, correct? His like only, only acting role he's ever. not playing himself. Yes, correct. It, the I, only time I, he's ever acted in I believe I saw that he was in MTV the year before. As he himself. plays himself. He does. That's As not what it says himself. on IMDb, so... You guys should. I believe he plays himself in that. Um, he play okay. All right. Technically, he plays oh a talking head okay. on a TV panel. I guess he's never identified. I do but want to say, watching this, all we could think was they must have just been friends. Like, what yes. on earth could the explanation for this be? It has to. In be. the commentary, she says, "You know, our casting director had this great idea where she just said, what? what about Michael Moore?'" And I knew him from New York. I loved his films and he moderates lots of Q and A's and panels in New York. And I thought he was so funny. He came in and read for four characters. He was great as all of them. And then we put him in this role. That is so bizarre, especially because this film is like well cast. You have a lot of good actors in it. Right. Like you have a Roth, lot of people. Red, Ed right. O'Neill, but then Bill Pullman, people like right. Bamford who were like at the beginning of their career right. to suddenly go Aaron, like, of course, let's pull someone who has no acting aspirations whatsoever. And seemingly this one performance and the response to it scared him off of ever even trying ever. But again. this also like this is not that far removed. I mean, it's a couple years, but like. Everyone forgets Michael Moore made a fiction movie as his follow-up to Roger and Me. Yeah, Canadian yeah. Bacon. Canadian Bacon. 
Like he he did not lock in on being Michael Moore. I mean, until like, no people thought he might be a studio comedy yeah, guy until like. Yeah, and I also was wondering, like, you know, because Columbine obviously really refocused his energies as a documentary filmmaker. And that was 99. Yes. Kind of wonder. No, that's 2002. Columbine is right after The Matrix came out. The it's event. You're talking the event. You're talking oh, the, the event, event of Columbine. Oh, bowling for Columbine. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm saying bowling, but I'm yeah, saying okay. the event of Columbine clearly refocused his perspective on how yes. to make documentaries and think about American sure. issues. Sure. I'm wondering if but that was forget. if that was on his mind at this time when he was shooting Lucky. People numbers. forget that, right? Because for most of the '90s, he was uh, doing TV, yes. awful truth. Yeah, he, and did, things like he that. did all his right, exactly. Right. So he he's was doing mosh pits with Alan Keys or whoever. Right. Like, could you know, forget. Was, was yes. Like, yeah. So he's in this movie. Mm-hmm. And there's something wrong he with him. He loves masturbating. He's, little, He's advising it to people all the time. A little, yeah. uh, a little off about him. Uh, yes, they use language that I will not repeat. But he seems like he's, you know, what people might now call on the spectrum at the time called other things. And uh, they call him a lot of names. Yeah. And it's a bizarre performance. And he asks John Travolta um, if he if he masturbates, if he likes it. And and his whole belief is he's a, a deeply religious man uh, he says that if he, the money he's making, he would put half towards the church, half to open an adult bookstore. He believes that God wants us to masturbate. That's this character's raison d'etre is to uh-huh. preach the good word of masturbation to everyone he meets within two minutes of speaking to them. And he's there because he's the stoolie that they need to buy the ticket and redeem it yes. because they're going to need someone that they can't be traced to. We haven't even established that the premise of the movie is they they're the injecting lottery. the lotto balls with paint so that they're weighed down. So only the numbers they want come up so that they can win all the money and get themselves out of, which this is hole. apparently exactly how the real life thing happened. But otherwise this movie is kind of made out of whole cloth. It's just based off of people who work at a local TV station, rigging the lotto in this way. All the right. other incidents are fictional. It's, yeah, right, right. That's the that's the only thing that's except real. the it's one thing like, that yeah. she flags. I, I'm gonna listen to the commentary. I feel like I'm referring to it a lot. <laughs> she does say. Wait, that oh, when, I'm sorry, Alex. Did you listen to the commentary for this? I did. Yeah, and but, I made wait, a file okay. of it on my phone. <laughs> the commentary oh. for Lucky Numbers. Look, I for this movie. Only, you're saying look, this commentary. I gotta say, it was not time wasted because it's paying off a lot. Um, yes. The thing where the guy comes to Tim Roth and says, "All these other people connected to you hit the numbers." That's how the mm-hmm. real people got caught. Oh, interesting. Is that like a, a pocket of people all connected to each other won because this, someone had talked and given out some of the numbers. And it's that thing where all the other people can be traced back to Tim Roth. None of them got all the numbers correct so that they could still get the main bounty. But he clearly leaked like yeah. just put three of these numbers down to a bunch of people to get smaller payouts. I guess so. Anyway, Michael Moore dies on the ground grasp, gasping for breath. While Lisa Kudrow tries to find his, I hate the term puffer. It's an inhaler. This is like a sub hoagie thing. Like it's an (laughs) inhaler. It's not a puffer. And Travolta calls it an inhaler. Yes. Well, uh, there's enough mist in this little puffy to save 10 masturbators. There he is. Yeah. So he dies on the ground while she's singing the theme song to happy days in just like a peak shitty black comedy scene. It is not good. I will fully concede. It has a blow up doll in it for some reason. It's a huge problem scene, I think, especially because that's when the movie is right. Is turning from like madcap 
silly black right. comedy to like, oh boy, the stakes are higher. Now people are dying. Like this is getting out of control. But the tone of the movie doesn't really feel like it acknowledges that. No, no, it feels like the scene is just going like, oh, look at how cruel she is. She's letting him suffer and have a hard time breathing because the way in which he dies is so casual. It right. takes five minutes to realize that he is actually dead. No, I as it was happening, I kept waiting for her to realize like the that her like cruel joke like went too far. And it turns yes. out she's just a cop. So I like your cat's cameo there. Yeah, good time. I, 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 mine all must be asleep. But uh, anyway, it's it's kind of like disgusting and not funny at all. And then she says the clams line that made Nora want to make this movie for whatever reason. Worth it. And then I and then like what's happening at this point? It's just like <laughs> now it's a bunch of stuff. It's now like they, now they just need to find someone to cash in the ticket and like right. The, the noose is tightening on Roth and everything's getting worse. It's this idea right. of like, okay, so Schiff, which I do think that's a very good scene. Schiff interrogates Roth and then Roth realizes Schiff is on to, we have to get rid of him. So then they owe more money to the thugs in addition of the, to disposing the body. Right. He's he, right. He's now coming back around to Travolta. Travolta had to pay for his bail, but now Rappaport wants additional money for taking care of the book. Travolta has had to move at this point from his big yes. mansion to a sold his Jaguar house. Guys, you both just sound like madmen. You're just it's just babbling. That's, that's <laughs> these what are this real is. things that happen I'll in the movie. I'll give you one one little bit of uh, trivia: <laughs> is that that location of his new house is in Sacramento, where they shot part of the movie. Now that is the kind of scintillating fact <laughs> that you, you can Nora. only learn if you listen to the DVD commentary for Lucky Numbers. We have not talked about my favorite thread of the movie, which is about halfway through when the bodies are piling up, the incidents are piling up, Travolta can't downsize his life any further. We cut to a police precinct where Bill Pullman sits in a chair. That is 59 minutes into this movie. Insane. Well, that's this where movie we're at. is an hour well, and 40 yeah. minutes. Before long. then, yes. I have one before we enter Pullman. Ben, I know in this in the uh, when Harry Met Sally episode, you were kind of getting excited about how good the comedy buttons are in that movie. And mm -hmm. and yes. that's correct. They're perfect. Here's a button in Lucky Numbers. Uh, the end of the scene is almost over. Here's the button. John Travolta, want to have sex? Lisa Kudrow. Yeah. That's yeah, it. That's perfect. the button. That's, That's how the scene good is. Joke. You remember that scene? Good joke. I do. And I thought that was a good joke because they start planning and then it's like yes. before they actually get to the meat of the plan, they're like, you want to have sex? Yeah, that was effective. Okay. It won comedy points that, that I button. wanted to run that button <laughs> by you because to me, I was just like, this is this, this isn't writing. I don't really know. I, I, I took that button and I sewed it on my jacket proudly. If, I, if you tried to attach anything with that button, you would fail. Yeah. I'm sorry. This, that button analogy. It wasn't really heightened work. enough, but it's still, I thought it was <laughs> no, an okay joke. Also, they have no chemistry. Like, like either yeah, they have no. sex in the movie. And it's also supposed to be set up that like the sex she has with Ed O'Neill sucks, but the sex she has with Travolta is electric. He's the good but sex. She seems bored in both cases and he seems bored. Everyone seems bored. Can we talk about the Pullman thread? As we, in order to yeah, set that up, we need to mention funny. that this is, I think I haven't rewatched the them as Pullman recently thread. as you guys have. The only Nora Ephron movie that features a strip club as a primary location. Uh, so many times. It's, it's one of the hangouts. And I believe the only Nora Ephron movie to make jokes of 
ping pong balls ostensibly flying out of women's bodies in that strip club. I'm sorry. That's a big, that's a big blanket statement. Let me cross reference. Yeah, think about that. Yes, I remember. That's also a sleepless in Seattle. It is. Because I thought that was, I thought that was in Julia and Julia, but it's in sleepless in Seattle. Yeah. I mean, Julia Child definitely went to strip clubs like that all the time. I'm not sure if it made the no. movie. I, can't I have right. to check the tapes. I have to check the tapes on that one. Alex. Deleted all scenes. right, we'll find out and I'll check back. 59 minutes into an hour and 40 minute movie, Bill Pullman enters with some scheme about faking a back injury to get out of police duty. Yeah, he's a detective who doesn't want to do any detective. I think Bill Pullman is what this movie should be, both in his performance yeah, and I think Nora funny. has the right handle on this character. Yes. Uh, you've also got D- Daryl Mitchell. Who's a great foil. Is, I love Daryl Mitchell. And I think this might be the last movie he was in before no, he was it's, paralyzed. It's the Country right? Bears. It's the Country Bears. Oh, really? I know I that, have, I know I that fact because it's tragic. Bears. How did he get paralyzed? Right. Uh, he in a, I think it was in a, yeah, an accident and, and he, you know, I know him as uh, mostly from galaxy quest, obviously. And mm-hmm. 10 things I hate about you, right? Like he was like home fries. Mm-hmm. such a, yeah, right. A great, a great, like sort of, you know, funny guy off the bench, like, you know, do three big scenes and like he's in he sitcoms rolls. and stuff. Yeah. But then he had that whole, he's now like in a wheelchair and he's, I mean, I think he's on NCIS New Orleans, like for like yeah, he still seasons works. running now. Like he's, he was know. on multiple seasons of Ed. Uh, he yes. was on the Michael Strahan Fox sitcom brothers. Like he still the, works one a of lot, the most now, offensive yeah. the, the brothers was absolutely insane. It was just Michael Strahan making fun of him for being in a wheelchair and him making fun of Michael Strahan for having a gap in his teeth. You should watch the pilot. It's one of the That's craziest crazy. things I've ever seen i have no idea how that should be in angie's mountain of pilots that are <laughs> not allowed out scattered amongst it's, the gems i do like that because this does not happen often daryl mitchell is like not a big star but he's like working in a lot of good projects he's like a good yeah. scene stealer as you said right then he gets right. in this really tragic accident and people started writing roles for him Like most of the roles he's done since then, even like brothers and his role on ad people were like, here's this great actor. He's now in a wheelchair. Let's write a role that suits his personality and like incorporates the fact that he's paraplegic. I feel like very often if someone has an accident like that, Hollywood's just like, I don't know what to do with you. It was like Christopher Reeve being in the remake of Rear Window. Right. But but with Daryl Mitchell, it's been done effectively and he's had a nice career. So you want to talk about Bill Pullman as being a cop, a detective who wants to not really be doing his job. Yes. The stakes here are different with a lot of his scenes. He's He's not like accidentally. Right. And I think this movie Nora has a handle on, which is here's a cop who doesn't want to be a cop at all. He finds the job to be a real bummer. He faked a back injury and his superior caught him chopping wood in his backyard. So now he's forcing him to go back onto patrol, but he doesn't want to do that. So he's looking to end cases as quickly as possible. And he is the guy who keeps on being at the right place at the right time to collect the information, to bust the case wide open. And he refuses to acknowledge it because he doesn't want to have to do the extra work. He refuses to do the extra research to check the file. And it's Daryl Mitchell is his partner who like is trying to actually do things correctly. And everything flies over Bill Pullman's head. I think Pullman plays this beautifully. It is I think funny. He's, he's very so funny. funny. It, much like Kudrow, he is dialed pretty into what yeah. he's doing. And like just the scene, this final scene where like he he shows up 
in the hospital room where Travolta's waking up after an accident. Well, we'll talk about the accident. Okay, so I'll get there when I get there. But the the Pullman stuff, I just think all of that totally. But basically, like from, you know, minute 30 when Michael Moore is killed, roughly 40 minutes into like minute 80, it's just like Ed O'Neill, Rappaport and Tim Roth all trying to like get the money and it's like boring and it makes no sense. And every time there's like Travolta, a, a joke, yes. it's not funny. Travolta gets into a position where he now owes far more money than he originally right, did. Right, they do a scene so where he's he, like, Ed O'Neill wants half. And then- Right, he wants half, he wants 20,000, he wants 10%, like I'm now in further debt. So his strategy is, I need to just get level again. I'm gonna sell the ticket to someone else to unburden myself of all of this drama. And he sells it to Ed O'Neill. For like a hundred thousand dollars or something, he's selling him a six million dollar ticket for a hundred thousand dollars, and also trying to unload all of his snowmobiles so he has enough cash to just get out, move, start from his 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 assistant Jerry, who has like a cousin in Colorado who wants to buy all the snowmobiles, who always speaks in these very meaningful kind of like poetic statements that end up being from a play that he wrote about Evil Knievel when he was in middle school. Again, just gibberish. Everything <laughs> you're saying, just gibberish. David, do you like this but movie? No, yeah. do, you like what, do, you, do you like the plot of Lucky Not Numbers? a fan. It's a gentleman's 10. I did like Jerry's bedroom where he has bobbleheads, a kiss poster, and jars I of I believe trolls. you're talking about Larry, Larry not Jerry. Jerry. Jerry is yeah. Richard Schiff. Okay. Larry is Michael How Weston. can I have David is slamming confused. his fist on his desk. I'm trying to say a sentence. That's all I'm trying somewhere? to do. Oh, my God. What do you think of his jars the- of trolls? I don't remember it. Don't you like the troll jars? <laughs> what did, don't remember any of what that. What did you think of, like... What did you Richard think of like the actual like sort of comedy writing? Like when they're there and Tim Roth is like, you need to see what's right in front of you. And Travolta is like, all this in front of me is this placemat with the presidents that only goes up to Van Buren. It's like, what kind of, I, I like what that. kind of jokes are these? I don't understand. And, and Travolta it's is a 10 point so joke. That's a 10 point bad joke. at this kind of delivery. I get that Resnick can write a good weird joke. Like, I mean, the man, you know, he made Cabin Boy. He worked on Letterman. Like, and some of these lines, when you say them in isolation, you're like, yeah, that's, that's clever. Like, I get that. I don't think Nora was a particularly good match for his, no. uh, his whatever comedic point of view anyway. Like, I, this does, it doesn't seem like she's got whatever. There's a, the whole tonal thing is the whole problem with the movie. When he sells the ticket to, yes. to, to Ed O'Neill for a hundred grand, he is doing the thing that I do think you need to do in this, in these kinds of movies. Happens in Uncut Gems, happens in a lot of movies about like people ben who are suddenly looks like heads. he's paying attention again. <laughs> Yeah, where, where he's where he can he gets to zero, like you know he, what I mean, right. like because that's where he's like, okay, now I don't owe Rappaport any money. Yes, I'm not in any immediate danger of being arrested or anything. I'm level like that. again. Yeah, exactly. Sure, I never got the fortune I was trying to get, but like at least I am, you know, level. Now here's the point at the movie where I thought he would then, you know, catapult back under, get arrested, and the movie ends. Mm-hmm. The ending of this movie is very different. Very surprising to me. Did not understand it at all, but we can get into so that. So during yes, some like the X endless, is the Pullman endless thing. series of yeah. nonsense of like a breaking in of Rappaport. Like there's just like a 10 minute sequence that is gibberish. Mm-hmm. It ends with Rappaport being shot. Right. At this point, I'm right, like, you right. don't even understand 
who's in whose house or like what is happening with the dynamics of the Kudrow, Ed O'Neill, Pullman. Right, because you have the thing, the thugs are so bad that when they disposed of Schiff's body, throwing it over a bridge in the scene that Nora Ephron felt compelled by every fiber (laughs) of her being to shoot, they put a plastic bag over his head, beat the shit out of him, and then tie one brick to one hand so the body isn't weighed down properly and it rises to the surface. And they say it's a funny cut. They say it'll never be found. It'll never be found. It cuts to them finding it. And then Bill Pullman says, probably a suicide, open and shut. That's (laughs) That's funny. 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 It's funny. But it is also funny to say, you know, it'll never, ever be found. And then it cuts to the news guys going, and today the body of a local gangster was found in the river. And then Travolta. And and Travolta freaking out. That's the best visual gag in the movie, too. It's that and the truck spilling over are the two actually inspired visual gags. That one is you're watching it from the perspective of the monitors in the control room at the news station. So you're watching them deliver the news while Travolta is on camera, but not on the air yet. So you see him lose his mind and then try to recover. I think that scene's good. It's fine. Ten She's right. You do need to make that scene good, and they made it good. But unfortunately, yeah. it's like 75 minutes into this movie. Yes, it's very deep into this movie. And it is also the first time you're like, oh, is he a character now? Like, in, now he's funny? Like, I, He has an he, understanding of his actions. Yeah. and the, Of all right, the things right, that Travolta right. doesn't do well in this movie... The thing he does the least horribly is playing the freak outs. The like, I'm in over my head. Yeah, he totally loses control. He's okay at that. He's okay at that. Everything else is abhorrent. Um, And then like basically him and his assistant are just going to load up the truck and he's going to like get out of town forever. And that's supposed to be it. We didn't even mention that his ambition in life seems to be to not host the weather, but to host a game show. He wants to host a game show and he has an agent who he keeps on telling people is about to book him a big job and he hasn't heard from the agent in nine months and then when they call him back, they tell him that the agent's been dead for nine months. (laughs) Also, a funny joke. A funny joke. He keeps on saying like, no, he's definitely my agent. He's definitely like full agent. He's about to get me a big job. But then the thing we're talking around is that they load up the truck with snowmobiles set painfully to We Are the Champions. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And about which she says, you know, when we were going through at the end and you're running out of money and you're clearing songs, they're always trying to cut ones. And I, I said, if we lose this, we lose the movie. And I was like, I don't even get the that joke sucks. of that why sucks that she thought that right. highly of this dreadful cue. They're loading up the truck. <laughs> we are the champions. The song stops. It's dead silent. And yes. then there's like a 10 second shot of the truck just driving. And then like a 20 second shot of it just slowly falling over. They pull out of the dealership and it's a big wide shot of the snowy street. It's like the dark night framing. And the idea is that the road is so snowy that when they pull out, we didn't even mention that, turn, that it's finally started snowing. Right. And that he's a weatherman and he, it never, yes, ever snows. A, he, he couldn't predict right. it. There's a joke that he couldn't predict it. He also right. doesn't have the class C license to drive the truck, which he says That's right true. before right. he like pulls out, you know, his off. Fi- right. His, the kind of thing that finally undoes someone in a movie like this, usually. Sorry, am I correct in assuming he also chose to do weather in this one city because it's the same all the time? In Harrisburg, right. I think it's so. like pretty yeah. ordinary weather. Because when people ask him to explain the weather, he can't do it. He, he says like, no, it's different when I have the charts. He's just bad. Yeah, I would imagine, you know, Harrisburg has four seasons. I'd imagine they go through yeah. the cycles. But she seems to view him as like, 
someone who's just like, he's just talentless. He's just some idiot whose face is on TV and that's his thing. He's he's the kind of weatherman that changes his name to stormy. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So they pull out of the dealership and it's a hard turn. And because the road is so icy, there's like a whiplash effect to the back of the trailer where it then spins entirely over the other way and topples over. It's a good shot and it's crazy that someone gave her the time and money and space to do that in this movie. It's very funny. It is funny. It's actually surprising. It's perfectly timed, perfectly executed, silent. Wow. Right. Right. And then Travolta freaks out, steals one of the snowmobiles and tries to get away from the cops. Does anybody want to guess what she compares this to? This shot? Him on the snowmobile. She compares to a very famous... North by Northwest? Yeah, not far off. Okay. She says that she, she, she wanted it to feel like Slim Pickens riding the bomb at the end of Dr. Strangelove. Wow. That's a, I mean, I'm glad she's shooting so high. She's like, yeah, "Yeah, I wanted this film to echo three or four of the best films (laughs) ever made by Hollywood. So Nora, what attracted you to the screenplay? Well, I felt like it was about time for me to make canonically one of the 10 (laughs) best films ever made. She does always couch it. As I read with the one thing, the Shakespearean thing, she always says like, which is of course absurd to say about something like this, but Yes, right. she was not okay. lacking in self So he goes on like some sure. dumb joyride on, and there's like a the right. bit of business where he he grabs a snowmobile and the guy is like, don't take that one. It's bad and it's slow. And he's like, is this how you sell these? And, and when Bill Pullman finally catches up to him, he freaks out, takes a crowbar and throws it through his window. Not realizing he's there to help. No, and then gets knocked out. Wakes up in a hospital and the nurses are all fawning over him because he's such a big star and they think he's cute. And it almost feels like, oh my God, has he reset? Has somehow the guy gotten a second chance? Then Bill Pullman comes in. He's like, oh no, you're in big trouble, mister. You think it's that scene that exists in this movie where the guy finally puts it together and catches where, where him. Where crime pays. Because of one yes. small, small mistake he made. One tiny slip up undid the whole thing. But the twist is that Pullman cares so little. He's looking for only two, $300 compensation for the broken windshield. And also he needs to pay a parking ticket, a, a traffic ticket. He gives him a, he gives him a ticket. Yes. For operating a snow. But this is a great joke. Like, yeah. This is a great joke where he gives him the ticket yes. and he looks at it and he goes, it's blank. And he goes, Pullman goes, yeah, my pen ran out of ink. Right. And also the ticket is in two pieces and he goes, you can just fix that with scotch tape. It's still good. <laughs> All that stuff is funny. That's funny. That's funny. And then yes, the movie is that like everyone gets exactly what they wanted. Travolta becomes a successful uh, game show. Of a host. show called lucky numbers. Uh, right. I would, I would dispute that crystal does not get what she wanted. No, she's the only one. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. No. That's that's the one of the weird things about the end of this movie where it's like, anyway, Travolta becomes a game show host with a car. Well, he wraps it all up he's via doing a bit great. of voiceover. He the voiceover right. from yeah. the beginning comes back. We didn't we didn't Tim mention Roth. this. They get Maria Bamford to cash the ticket. She becomes yeah. the patsy. Right. Yes. She gives right. a speech that according to the commentary is entirely improvised, where she's just like riffing on insane nonsense about how she picked these numbers. She's she didn't doing the numbers. Good stuff. I will say right. my favorite line is when she says, well, when I was 16, I went to a party and then moves on. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> and she, and <laughs> she made it funny. up. I picked 70 because 70 cents is how much the bacon cheese costs on a bacon cheeseburger. Right. I like that line. Oh, that's good. Um, uh, you're right. And then they wrap Lisa it up. Kudrow's the only one who's punished. She gets right. well, stuck woman, working so. as a lotto themed stripper. Yes, it does very much feel like that. Like what? 
Like she's punished for being sexually promiscuous. Right. Well, well yeah. that and also like John Travolta in her, I think are like equally like shitty scam Everyone in this movie shitty. Yeah. Although we, yes. we must say and it doesn't make any she's sense. She's doomed to work as a stripper dressed in a bikini covered in lotto balls, which I feel like was yes. heavily yes. used in the marketing, which I was I so. shocked to see as like a one shot joke in the epilogue because I feel like that was like the image you saw. And then to add on top of it, they label her as a Monday, Tuesday, like stripper. No, she's not even it's getting like prime like, time. Yeah, weekend. It's yeah. like, it's so shitty. And then in that, but Tim Roth becomes like a multimillionaire. Well, Roth, he has yeah, like, he, he hits what he wants. Tim Roth. Yeah. And cause all the epilogues, each character gets a little freeze frame send off. Tim Roth winks at the camera and hits. Yes. I love the name gig. I do too. That's a good one. Can I say what I also like about Tim Roth's performance? that he chooses to play this guy with zero menace whatsoever. He's super charming. That, like, right. Like, but, but also just like, there's nothing. He just, everything he says is very yeah. casual, but he has that inherent Tim Roth menace, right? He knows yeah. he doesn't need to no, lean but I on think it that's, at all. That's right. a canny choice on his, he's, uh, he's Griffin, a smart actor. This yeah. is the thing. I have no objection to most of the performance in this film. Right. So we agree. It's a great JT. Film. And I, I don't even have an objection to a lot of the writing, but on the screen, you're like, as you're watching it, it's falling out of your head. I just, I can't retain any of it. And this type of messy movie is my ultimate guilty pleasure. Adam Resnick seems yeah. to say something to that effect in this pretty good article on Vulture, which I recommend, where he says, uh, a classic case of a script stirring up a certain amount of excitement, everyone getting swept up in it because talent likes it, directors like it, and the package, as they say, comes together. But no one stops to think if it's the right package. No one producer is going to turn down a green light. Uh, if blah, blah, blah. He just, you know, lists all the reasons sure. it doesn't go right. Well, that there's a, sure. This is not a Nora Ephron S script, so right away it was a gamble. Uh, and he just basically says, you know, like this could have been a thing. And then just everything went wrong, even though this was big stars and a great comedy actress and a great director that everyone knew made hits. No one stops to think like every element here tastes terrible together. That's I feel like half of the bounces we cover on the show. That is a very eloquent summation of what went wrong. Like sometimes a bounce is a director hubristically shoots for the stars and it, they just get everything wrong. And sometimes it's just like every element should not be put next to the others. Yeah, it's like uh, yes. two fine tastes that go awful together, like yeah. toothpaste and orange juice. Then there is the insane audacity of ending this movie with like, and then John Travolta was fine. <laughs> he becomes a game show host. He gets everything yes. he ever wanted. Right. Which is, I think why people exited this movie and said F because they, they were want like him to be punished. A hundred percent. I yeah. want to be punished. What the fuck does he deserve anything in this? He sucks. Well, it, it, you know, a lot of the looking at like the contemporary reviews, people seem to find a lot of problem with like what they felt was, a deep sense of condescension about the characters and that like clearly mm. the filmmakers think these people are morons, which is yes. probably a, a criticism of all of these kinds of comedies. Absolutely. But on the Charlie Rose interview, she does refer to them as entirely unworthy human beings, which is a phrase <laughs> I love. <laughs> so if you're ever like, I wonder like, does it, it's kind of hard to tell the director's intention because in order to make a movie for two years, you do need to care about the characters. And sometimes you just think they're entirely unworthy human beings. Yeah, which makes you wonder why would you spend two years of your life? She seems to hold this kind of like glib, want to be famous, not talented person in especially low esteem. But I feel like a lot of her comedy writing, 
you know, prose writing and, and nonfiction writing before she moved to film was obviously almost all of it was from her perspective. I mean, there's sort of like personal essays and stories and this and that, but it was a lot of sort of critiquing the behavior of other people around her and other trends and things like that. And she wants to try to do that stuff in movies, but when you're living with someone visually existing on camera for over 90 minutes in which an actor has to imbue all of that like annoying behavior with some sense of a larger life behind it, it becomes like very unpleasant for people to watch and that's pretty much the through line for all of her movies that weren't successful and it's interesting like this goes into bewitched which is a fiasco to use a word david said before we were recording and it's amazing and like this was the period where i got really into her because of like just moving in with anna and like reading her books and then but she was like at a real fallow period after these two Mm -hmm. movies and and, like culturally i think and it was like weird how into her we were because it was like, yeah, I guess, you know, like the early movies, sure. But like lately, and then those books, I think really made her great again. Like I feel bad about my neck and I remember nothing. I think really, yeah. really turned things around. And then I, I, I think it's good that her last movie kind of like, it, it's, it's the justifiable film. She went out on a hit. Yeah. Like she went out on like, even if you don't think it's your best film, she went out doing the thing that she was good at as a filmmaker. It was a success. People got Oscar nominations. It was well-liked. It was clearly a film with like subject matter that she was personally engaged with. All of which could be said about this as well. I just think it is fascinating that like, you're right. It feels like lucky numbers and bewitched should be like, she cannot recover from this, especially considering that she tragically dies too soon, right? She died but way the, too soon, right? She but the made fact that like in the last five years of her life, she kind of completely restored her reputation, like hit books, a, a well-liked play, a big the hit play movie. The play was posthumous, wasn't it? Yeah, but like she got it to get, she wrote yeah, yeah. it, obviously. You know that like she... Every final, her final five or six years of living, everything she wrote was ended on a high note. And her son said in that documentary, like she was very aware of the fact that she was sick and she wasn't going to live that much longer. And she wanted to get out as much as she could. And the fact that so much of that final like burst of work did represent her at her best or near her best is a pretty insane phenomenon, but it's a nice, it's good. It's a good ending. These two movies are weird. Uh, I should also mention we I, we didn't even I, I I've sent to you guys like a 15 minute as a gift a blank check gift uh, phone call with Jason Schwartzman talking about Bewitched for you to do with what you will. We will find a way to release that either within the body of Bewitched or as I a called Patreon him bonus. and asked him you know stories about her getting cast in the movie, uh, just any little anecdote for 15 minutes. Does he know? Does he know what? That we're that it using it? Oh, yeah, no, I told him. I mean, I, I've told him about the show before. And um, yeah, I was because he was like, do you want me to just tell you and you can relay it? And I said, no, I'm going to record it and send it. And he said, OK. Well, also ask ask uh, Jason Schwartzman if he wants to talk about uh, Robert Zemeckis is a Christmas carol. Having a hard time finding a guest <laughs> for that one. Not a lot of nips. Not a lot of bites. <laughs> Maybe he wants to swing in for that one. He could he yeah. could compare it unfavorably to Klaus. Anyway, I asked him for some firsthand Nora anecdotes on behalf of you, and he provided them. So hopefully that's available somehow. Um, look, we've had a great time talking about this. I'm excited to figure out just how poorly it did at the box office. And then it's been great hanging out with you guys. 
Um, but look, I'm I'm feeling great. I, I love doing this. You guys are when you show up, you're here trying to you break. You guys the are record. a lot of, and I will say on behalf of others, I feel like this hasn't come up in some of the recent episodes. But like, you guys really did a great job of keeping everything on schedule during the worst of the world falling apart. And as I told Ben when he gave me this microphone, we kept everything sounding very professional. I appreciate that. It takes a lot of work. I know people in this weird time everything feels very heightened. And so if an episode drops four hours late or something ends up being a little different than we expected, that people freak out. And I'm not asking for uh, uh, empathy, but people should know it takes a tremendous amount of work to keep the schedule in place and to keep the episodes like coming out in any form. Yeah, but so, we're, we're going to be good moving forward. It won't happen. No, I'm anymore. just saying, I'm just saying, no, I know, like, but I'm just saying people that need to now. understand that, that there, there will yeah. be small concessions just to the, the nature of our horrible reality. We're back right on now. track. But that run, like track. during the first couple of weeks of COVID when it was like March madness episodes and like uh Demi Sorry, bonus, George. there was just like, and mm-hmm. like the Justin Timberlake Demi, like, I feel like you were putting on an episode like every 72 hours for like three weeks and it was really really fun we we did more march madness updates than usual because we needed to use peek behind the curtain we 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 need to use march madness to to figure out the technical aspects of how we record the show remotely Although as a fan, it was appreciated. And I will also say on the subject before we do box office, I really have to publicly eat my words on Demi because that was a great run. And hey, I know that on even some of the episodes, people mentioned like that I was dubious. But what yes. I ended up doing was watching like 11 or 12 movies I'd never seen and, and liked and really liked most of them. Hells yeah. And uh, the episodes were uniformly enjoyable, including what I, when, they, when he won. And I remember saying to you guys, uh, do people know they just voted for a master builder episode? Turns out it was your best episode ever. So it might've been our number come one. In. My, that, it come eggs in. on my face, but boy, the, <laughs> boy, I, I'm better off for having watched all those movies and, and kind of employed my Demi knowledge now to have gotten like a recent music job that I wouldn't have really known how to pitch on if it not for thinking about him as long as you did that series. So I was fully in the wrong. Someone, I'm not going to call them out by name because they don't need to be shamed anymore, but someone who is not a professional film critic, but is public, tweeted like, did you see this? They tweeted like, oh, is there any other example? No, 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 because this is what I'm going to say. I'm not going to say what you think I'm going to say, David. David, give me a modicum of trust. Yeah. Trust Griffin like he's Russ Richards reading the weather. I just don't want to amplify that stupid tweet. Well, now I'm curious what it is. We can always cut it. No, because maybe trust that I know what I'm going to say. All right. Okay. Someone said something like, is there any other example of someone like Jonathan Demme who makes one great film and then makes forgettable bullshit for the next 40 years? And he was getting clowned on in the way people get clowned on film Twitter. But when I saw the tweet and I looked at the replies, there was a very, very large percentage of them that were blankies, not jumping down this guy's throat, but saying like, you know, I used to have a similar opinion on him, but then I watched all of his movies because of Blank Check. And first of all, he made so many good, interesting movies before Silence of the Lambs. And second of all, he only had 20 years after Silence of the Lambs. And third of all, there were a lot of undersung gems in that following 20 years. I liked that the most diplomatic of the responses to that tweet 
we're blank check people sort of saying what Alex is saying now, which is like, I actually think if you take the time to dig into Demi, there's a lot of it was very enriching for me to watch all of those movies. And I was glad to I was glad to be forced to do that. Isn't that a positive thing for me to say, David, and not just clowning on somebody with the bad take? I didn't I didn't think you were going to clown on him. It is nice that they were. David's hair has turned into fire a la Ghost Rider. He is so hopping mad. There's a couple things. A couple things I want to say. One, my hair is very long right now and I can't stand it. It's the worst, (laughs) the worst, most annoying thing about quarantine. To be clear, it is not the worst thing about quarantine. David's hair looks exactly the same. I notice no difference other than the fact that it's on fire like James Wood Hades and Hercules. One of my dark, you know, because obviously it's been so hard for people, especially Mm. like the the, the person who cuts my hair. I has cut my hair for years and I love her and I love seeing her and chatting with her every, you know, a couple months or whatever. And she sent me an email the other day being like, hey, like I'm I'm in New York. Like, but when, you know, when whenever this is over, I'm still here. And I was Mm -hmm. so happy. I interviewed Spike Lee today, so that's also that also took it out of me. That took a fucking double hour. humble brag. Like, I'm sorry. Can we can we go back to the first exciting thing is that your hairdresser in town, <laughs> and the second exciting thing is that you talked to Spike Lee. Lee did not leave New York. Shout out. Second thing, interviewed Spike Lee. That was cool. Great. So, but that probably like uh, used up a little of my Zoom uh, fatigue or whatever. Um, third thing, let's play the box office game. I don't know. I, I can't remember. I'm excited for that. Let's do it. That that is crazy though that you led with you led with the most exciting so thing is my hairdresser <laughs> named a Joaquin Phoenix mockumentary. She said I'm still here. <laughs> okay, let's play the box office game. My God. And that's why you stick around for two look, hours and look, thirty if, minutes. If we were Woo. if we were half an hour in, I guess that that one I would have been like, I get it. That, that when you said that to me, it was like I was watching the words come at my face <laughs> and I was just like, I don't know what these are. Look, <laughs> David, as opposed to my hairdresser, who I don't have much of a personal relationship to, who sure. instead named for me a uh oh tourist Joaquin Phoenix uh vigilante drama. Uh, they said you, I was never, never really here. here. Right. Okay. 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 Let's play a box okay, office. That game. one I got you. All right. So this film opened at number seven. It didn't open well. Fireworks. Oh yeah, fireworks in the daytime. A lot of fireworks That's New York recently. now, baby. Great to shoot fireworks when you can't see them. It's supposed to piss cops off, right? <sighs> All right. I well, guess? it pisses me off. I hate fireworks. I, just I hate assume loud it would noises. Get their attention. Yeah. No, I like it. Keep it going. Sure. And Ugh. it turns out that Ben is the only one shooting fireworks. Stay but he's blasting. moving from borough to borough. So, David, this opened when? In October? Uh, yes, late October. October 27th, 2000. So this Ooh, opened to... Four, very spooky. 4.5... Yeah, it was a Halloween release. $4.5 million on 2,500 screens. So not a particularly good opening. Uh, it makes $10 million total at the domestic box office. I don't believe it was ever really released internationally. I That's how big a flop it is. pointedly remember uh, Entertainment Weekly running an article around the release of this film about how October was the worst month, how there had been fewer $100 million grocers in history from mm. October over any other month. And they were saying, like, look at the evidence. A Travolta movie's bombing. Like, look at all the movies that no one's going to see in October. I feel like that's gone now. Right. October um, used to be the worst month, though. The, sure. Right. But now, right now, the summer starts in March and ends in October, practically, yeah, or whatever. Right. Used to. Used to. Now the summer's sure. canceled. 
right now the summer starts at Thanksgiving or whatever, whatever the new system is going to be. But anyway, I just want to point out that we're not going to talk about it, but opening at number six above lucky numbers is Jonathan Lip Nicky's The Little Vampire. Oh, we should talk about it actually for a little bit. Can we go on a little vampire side tangent? Yeah. What's the deal with the movie? Like, what's it about? He's a little vampire. Okay. Small, Uh, small, bitey. I don't remember a lot more. If you'd asked me what year was that movie, I would have said what Jerry Maguire is 95. I would have said that movie was 96. That movie is 2000. 2000. He looks like he's the same age. Yes, exactly. He does. He's just got slightly spikier hair. Did they shoot it in 96? He didn't age at all, and then he aged a lot. Like, he had, like, a seven-year window where he looked identical, and now he's unrecognizable. The weirdest thing is it's, it's like, from the director of, like, Last Exit to Brooklyn and Body of Evidence. Like, I don't know how he was called in to make a kid vampire movie. Is that Uli Lamel? Uli. Uli uh, Adele. Adele. Got my Uli's. Good Paul. Good Paul. All right. Number one at the box office. The big comedy hit of, uh, well, I guess it probably came out late September, early October. Um, big comedy star and another actor who's doing more comedies, famous actor, another famous actor who, who didn't originally do comedies and now is doing more of them. I I know what it is. He's just, he's just started to, is it a De Niro? Is it meet the parents? It's meet the parents. Just for the record. I, I, I believe that was what it was. In its fourth weekend, has dropped only six percent to stay number one for the fourth Huge weekend hit. in a row. Just held for yeah. right? million dollars. Yes, and then little Fo- Meet the Fockers does a hundred million more than this big hit. It's crazy how successful those movies were. It's also crazy how many uses I get out of saying you can milk anything. It's always funny. It's the funniest line ever in any yes. movie. Uh, ben and meet the parents uh, takes. I don't know. Anyone else care about meet the parents? I, I remember liking it at the time. It feels so cringy. It's very cringy. Yeah. It gives uh, me. It gives me like I don't know. A lot of Ben Stiller stuff is too much. There's one incredible joke in the second one, which I remember nothing about, where he thinks that Ben Stiller has fathered a child with a Hispanic uh, woman. Yes. And he's oh, yeah. there's and, a, a young Hispanic man who has Ben Stiller's ears. Who looks exactly like Ben Stiller. And he does look exactly like Ben Stiller. And then yes. the only thing I remember about that movie is he says, uh, the boy's name is Jorge Villa Lobos. Translation, George House of Wolves. Which <laughs> is an amazing joke. joke. But by the way, that is a great example of comedy mores changing between that and lucky numbers. That yes. is like sure. new comedy guys, yes. Ben Stiller, Owen Wilson, just like kind of riffing. That movie is sort of, it's bringing back an older thing. It's like, we, we're doing farce again. Yes. We're doing like a social comedy, right? Like it's about like snooty rich people who are weird. And that like, you know, destroying lucky numbers is exactly like the decline of the black dark comedy yes. and the rise of like comedies with people that you just kind of want to hang out with who are vaguely uncomfortable and funny. <laughs> well, but, but meet the parents had that gross out tinge like yeah. it had the you know those big moments that you could put in a trailer that were sort of like american pie yeah right that's the remnant of the the fairly yes. brothers tale which is now moving to the more uh, character-based yeah. cringe yeah, comedy fairly brothers right but the right. high stakes and it's right. the combination of a those slack pack guys become the big leading men and also now it's can you put someone in a comedy who usually isn't funny and that's half the selling point like john travolta Yes. Number two, except except he thought he was funny. 
Okay, number two is an uh, absolutely unsurprising sequel, but a total flop of a sequel, though it actually is opening to $13 million. It's a horror film. Uh, a Blair Witch Book of Shadows? Book of Shadows, that's right. They opened the book. Everyone thought that was going to be number one, and it that greatly underperformed. It did. It's not very good, but it is interesting in that it's about a group of people who have seen the Blair Witch Project, think it's real, and try to recreate it, and then some fucked up shit happens to them. It is such a bizarre pitch. Like, you should think it's just like some people try and find the, you know, like it's set as a sequel to the Blair Witch Project, but they're like, no, it's going to be a meta take on people being freaked out by the Blair Witch Project. And we're going to get the director of the movie about the West Memphis Three Killers. Right! We're going to hire a documentary filmmaker about real murders. That's so God. weird. Okay, I'm sorry, but just to state this very cleanly, that's still a period in time where even though like the entire appeal of Blair Witch was, oh look, they made it for like forty thousand dollars. It looks like a home video. It's like a scary haunted object, and it grossed this much money. They still were like, yeah, but you can't make another movie like that. It has to look like a real movie. So instead, they hire a documentary filmmaker to make a movie that isn't a mockumentary, which everyone rejects because they're like, this is the opposite of what we liked about Blair Witch. It's not about the fucking lore. It's about the aesthetics. Weird. Weird miscalculation. Weird movie. Number three is an uh, inspirational sports drama from Walt Disney. Uh, in the company. year 2000, it's not the rookie. No. Is it Remember the Titans? Yes, it is. Yeah, okay. Another Denzel big hit. Washington. Sorry for stealing that, yeah. but uh, no, no, it's we, we were sourcing all Huge those hit. Disney sports movies on Disney Plus and that I just know yeah. is there's, there's, there's three zeros after that movie. What's, what's the best? Oh, we haven't watched most of them yet. We watched Miracle. Um, I think Miracle oh, would Miracle's be my pitch. Miracle. Miracle is my pitch. That's the Kevin best. Kevin O'Connor, baby. Yeah. He's he he's good at them. I like that guy. Uh, I think that movie Loki. It's very good. Great I Kurt agree. Russell movie. Yeah. Um. Uh, number four at the box office is a comedy I certainly saw in theaters. I believe I saw it twice. Wow. Uh, huge bomb. Big comedy director. Two kind of middling stars of the moment who are maybe like TV you know, stars. No, they're movie stars. It's just like they're not quite like, you know, cream of the crop movie stars. Like hmm. they're sort of like, oh, sort of second tier. Uh, it's a twice. remake. I did see it twice. I have no idea why. It's not very Did good. you, a remake of a foreign film or an earlier American Remake film? of an earlier comedy. I believe a British movie. Hmm. And uh, do you like it still or did you see it two times by coincidence? I think it was kind of by coincidence. I think at the time I was very into the lead. I mean, I still love the the, the male star, um, but at the time I was sort of like, he's going to be big. Like, you know, we're, I'm going to see everything he's in. Wow. And I saw it once and was like, this is funny. And I think I saw it a second time and was like, oh, I, I guess it's just okay. When is the original movie from roughly? From the 60s. And there's a there's a gender flip happening. One of the two lead roles has been gender flipped. Huh. Huh. There's a gender this flip. This is not of a, a movie 60s. people really remember. Yeah. But that feels like that. This is what's driving me crazy. It sounds like it's something that should be so squarely in the wheelhouses of both Alex and myself. Yes. We yes. should be the and only two people who remember this. Major director. Bedazzled. Major comedy director. Bedazzled. Nailed it. I believe Harold, I also saw that two times I, in theaters. I, I Harold saw that Ramis. Once. Yeah. 
Yeah. Brendan Fraser, Elizabeth Hurley. She's the devil. And you know yes. that because she's wearing a little red dress. Yes. And the original is Peter Cook and Dudley right. Moore, right? That's right. I see. So they made the red devil dress. a woman in a yes. red dress. Yes. With the shapely, yeah. in a red shapely dress. fembot figure. You're right. Whoa. I was also just all she's in so at Brendan tempting. Fraser at this point. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's why, why, that's why I saw yeah. it 100% was like, I he was, was money like, in the Brendan bank Fraser. Yeah. Um, and in my, you know, and he plays lots of, cause he keeps wishing and he keeps having different lives. Yes, so he right. plays he got to wear different, different wigs. Right. It's funny. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's not funny. And then Ten comedy. So points. these are a lot of comedy. So October is like yes. comedy month. Yeah. I mean, they've been sort of hanging around as well, I guess. So like, you'll laugh you know, so hard. I'll scare you. That was cause obviously the big Halloween October release 2000. are Blair Witch two and the little vampire. Right. Two scariest obviously. films of the year. Uh, and then number five is a, a failed Oscar play. Um, big stars. It's not men of highly honor. Canceled. No, one of whom one of them's highly, highly canceled. canceled. Mel Gibson. Mm-hmm. That could be men no. of honor. Okay. Is it a spacey? Is it pay it forward? It's a, it's a spacey. It's yes. Let's be frank. It's pay it forward. <laughs> let's be frank. If you would please allow uh, me to be frank. It is, it is pay it forward. Right? Yes. 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 And, uh, uh, much hyped at the time, but a, a, a movie that a basically people already revived. were engraving the Oscars when the release yes. date was announced. I, I believe Griffin walked out and said, like, best actor, best David, actress. Right? I didn't wait to walk out. The lights had not even risen in the theater. <laughs> and I turned to my father and I confidently said, picture, director, actor, actress, supporting actor. I thought it was well, going to take them all. Can you imagine watching well. that movie now? Uh, oh, I, it's I really can't. tough to imagine. It could be fun as a goof. I, I, from redeeming something at some point in time, ended up with Pay It Forward in my iTunes library. It was some promotion where it was like, <laughs> buy one Warner Brothers movie and we give you three extra ones for free. And this but one quarantine. Of them is pay It Forward. Right. I mean, it's like, like oh, a curse. It's a monkey's paw. Yeah. yeah. But this quarantine. It's trash and then it ends up back in your living room. It's the YouTube yes. album of iTunes movies. Absolutely. But it, the quarantine has really tested me where I just keep on looking at that that file in my iTunes library no. and go like, is this the thing that will finally push me to watch a standard deaf digital copy of pay it for? It's not even HD. What else is in the top? What's below lucky numbers? Yeah. Just speed um, around some things. Okay. So, well, obviously we have the little vampire, as I mentioned, mm. uh, shout out to the littlest of all vampires. We've also Shay got Lippin the Ips. contender, the uh, Rod political Lurie. drama, Rod Lurie, yeah. uh, certainly his best movie. Corridors Jeff of Power, is great. we love it. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got The Legend of Drunken Master. Oh, that's, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. That's sort of an interesting little moment, it, you know, where like... Uh, Years Chan, later, redubbing, uh, Kong, re-editing yeah, right. of a classic right. film. A sequel to a classic film. That one's okay. Right. Yeah, um, we've got um, best in show, which is sort of chugging okay. along. Uh, it's yeah. made like ten million dollars. What does it end up? Um, at? It ends up at like twenty. So yeah. it was sort of like a little sleeper. We just rewatched that. Um, it's just a movie that you watch now, and it's crazy that this was like a film released in movie theaters. Yes, yeah. It's just like yeah, it's so, loose it's so funny. sketches, and it's just yeah. like looks like whatever and it's so funny and like people paid money to sit and watch it 
I did like a little guest miniseries on my own rewatching them maybe earlier this year, end of last year. And that one held up a little bit less for me than the others, just because I remember it being the funniest fucking thing I had ever seen at that point in time. But then you get to the last 30 minutes with Fred Willard, and that is truly, there is an argument to be made that that is the best comedic performance in the history of cinema. Right, once in terms he of, shows up. Right, right. like return on investment. I mean, Seth Meyers tweeted something about it, but just like the amount of screen time he has versus how much he gets yes. out of every syllable in that performance is insane. One of the funniest people ever. One of the best parts of that performance isn't even something he says. It's when the other guy goes, well, just like when you asked me that last year. <laughs> and the way everyone responds to him the looks he makes like he was on set for like three hours i think what the what happened part of a mighty wind is his individual probably most like electrifying scene sure. but yes. yes i think you know the best in show run there is is bulletproof it's like his flu game it's michael jordan's flu game it's him just yes. showing up and somehow just like getting bucket. <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah, so you've also got the uh, the ladies' man, uh, one of the better SNL Another Paramount, uh, failing SNL. comedy, yeah, yes, Paramount comedy. crumbling you've ruins. Got, um, and then you've got, this is actually something, the only last thing I want to say, two other F Cinema score movies, Lost Whoa. Souls and Dr. T and the Women. Ah. Yeah. So in 2000, America is like, I don't know what it is, but we're sick of what you're trying to do. Like, enough. I think the F Cinema score only starts that year. I was I looking at the right. list. I believe that's right. Uh, um, yes, yeah. Yeah, it's it's either ninety nine or two thousand. It's like it's around there. And I think we can all agree in closing that you know, lucky numbers gets an A, right, David? The last, uh, yes, absolutely, A plus. Uh, the last thing I want to say is that David Gordon Green's David Wa- George Washington opened on five screens this week. Great movie. His first movie. The first F cinema score movie is 1999 Eye of the Beholder. And then 2000 is like Dr. T lost souls, lucky numbers. Then it's suddenly, but Eye of the Beholder came out in 2000, right? I think Uh, it's like like a British movie. And then it's like, it's like January 6th, 2000. You're right. So four movies come out in the United States in 2000 are the first four films to get there. Presuming that at that point they were like, here's the cinema score thing. And by the way, guys, now, this is brand new for the millennium, but you can give movies an F. We had and people guys. were like, "Oh, we have good. We have almost run for three hours. I have to eat something." This David, is I have a side insane. tangent I want to go on quick. Really it's quick, can important. I just talk about Johnny Mnemonic? My my headphones are literally almost out of battery. And then I have that's, a merchandise spotlight I want to do as well. Okay, David, we're joking. I know you're joking. You better be joking, or else ben you're in trouble. Look like he was joking. I will say <laughs> oh, now, now, that, now that we're done. Right now. now that we're done, it doesn't seem like Griffin. You needed to delay this ninety minutes to rewatch Cabin Boy, but I'm glad you did. Thirty <laughs> minutes to watch Cabin Boy. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> 13. I think you just wanted to watch Cabin Boy, which I is did fair. because I'm in an Adam Resnick thing. I watched all of Get a Life in quarantine as well. Good, good show. A and I will show. say, I wanted to say more about Adam Resnick, but then all of you dunked on me. <laughs> it was open season on old Griffey. Uh, we got it. We got to save room for my Schwartzman uh, uh, bewitched tidbit somewhere. Well, that's happening next yeah. episode. But you can't yeah. put it in the. Oh, you can do whatever you want. It's yours. Yeah, we're not going to put in a lucky numbers episode. No, no. I mean, if we could do whatever we want with it, you can it, do whatever you want. Put it in and double it. Yeah. <laughs> 
let's let's re-edit our first episode ever, which was not good. The first Phantom podcast episode and put it in there. In the middle. But like, let's not tell anyone. Yeah. Let's just update it. Right. Just the numbers on that episode. But without any, without yes. any uh, Zero pointing to it. Yeah. And it'll be the right, perfect right. crime. Alex, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me back. Number five. I'm so happy. We we cinco. finally inducted you into the perfect a perfect club. film selection in a already very strong miniseries that's just beginning for for the listener. I mean, you, you know, you 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 demanded it. Was it worth it? You tell Are me. You happy? I'm happy. No, you tell me. Or, you know, I'm saying was it was. I mean, was I had a great time. All you dreamed it, of. I, it, David is miserable. His head is on fire, like anger from the Pixar film inside. It was out. It worth it, and I just because I had so much fun preparing for it and and wanting to make it a real compelling episode because I know already from listening to one and a half of these that this miniseries is taking Nora Ephron very seriously, and you're elevating yes. her as a writer and already in the half of the This Is My Life episode as a director, and this coming towards the end is going to be a real question mark for people as it was for me. Um, who plays anger in inside out? Lewis, Lewis black. black. Of course. Hey, there you go. Yeah. They took and the shortest to- walk possible on that one. <laughs> yeah, really? Well, he was good. Hey, and thank all of you for listening and please remember to rate and review subscribe. Thanks to, and for co-producing the show. Uh, and Brian, our social media, Lane Montgomery for our theme song, Joe Bone, Pat Rounds for our artwork. Tune in next week for Bewitched with Dana Schwartz and maybe the right, uh, the right man. I'm sorry. The Schwartzman drop. Um, unless we decide to put it somewhere else. Funky. Uh, and then on our we're Patreon. We're not going to do that. Well, now we're we going to do that. We're going to, we're going to put a right man drop in the Bewitched episode and we're going to put the Schwartzman drop somewhere funky. Like in a recording of Funky Cole Medina. Uh, go to blankcheck.com backslash Patreon. Go to patreon.com backslash blankcheck for Mission Impossible commentaries and blankies.reddit.com for some real nerdies shit. And as always, I, I don't think I have ever seen David look more defeated by an episode than he does right now. We're at three hours of episode now. Three hours. One, two, three. I know. Okay, I think this is the one I want to do. Um, uh, David? Yes. Uh, can, can you say, geez, I've been so busy lately, I barely polish my shoes? Okay. Uh, sure. <laughs> uh, geez, I've been so busy lately, I barely well, polish my on. shoes. Hold on. No, hold on. Sorry. <laughs> I say the line and then you say that. It's the opposite of what we usually do. No, I'm not doing that. I don't even remember this line. Just, just well, in that case, I, I'm, which line? That's the line. That's the line I'm trying to do. You have to respond to it. Otherwise, there's no context. I can't wait for all of this to go at the end of the episode. That's the line I'm trying to do. I have to look this You're forgetting up. how it goes. I am. He I don't asks, remember anything about this movie. When did you watch it's it? It's gone. Like two days David. ago. <laughs> it's gone. He, he asks, apropos of nothing, do you masturbate, Russ? And Russ says, geez, I've been so busy lately, I barely polish my shoes. Do you, would uh, you rather ask me, do you masturbate, Russ? Yeah, sure. And you polish okay, your shoes? There you go. That's what <laughs> I'll do Griffin, because David yelling. refuses. God.
<laughs> okay, so David, whenever you're ready, whenever you feel like you have I'm your best ready. Michael Moore down, you in in oh, your God. best Michael Moore say, "Do you masturbate, Russ?" <laughs> 